everybody, and welcome to the 82nd episode of the Cinefessions Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Chowan, and joining me tonight is Ash Collins and Mark Nadeau. Gentlemen, I hope you both had a great week off last week and are as excited as I am to get back behind the mics. Ash, how's everything going with you? Help, I'm being molested! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So things are going well over there. I want to be molested so bad right now. <laughs> Mark is so jealous. Well, what does it have to do to get molested around here? <laughs> oh, other than envy, Mark, how's how's everything going with you? Good. I was so lonely last week. Yeah. I'm so happy to come back tonight and hear molestation happening. Absolutely. My time in Catholic school. <laughs> you know, my therapist told me I overshared sometimes. I don't know if this mm-hmm. is but. Yeah, no, that's you're that's perfect. Just to have you know a stranger's hand rub your belly, you know. Yeah, that's nice. It's always nice. Mm. Yeah. So, so tonight we are beginning the first arc that was chosen by our listeners. It is the Scream Factory arc with a review of 1981's The Howling. We're also going to move on to round 18 of the Best in the Backlog Challenge and announce the winners of the. Wonderfully successful Oscars challenge that uh, was decided last week. So, hell yes. So, right out of the gate, uh, we want to take a second to thank uh, a couple people for for review. So, uh, Mtertainment uh, gave us a five-star iTunes review. He or she says, I, uh, quote, I'm definitely not winning this Oscars challenge, but I love listening to you guys and your thoughts. Looking forward to the next arc. So, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that review, Mtermainment, and entertainment. Yes. We appreciate that. Yeah. That was on the U.S. iTunes store. And then we also want to thank uh, Monkey Goatee for a five-star iTunes review on the Canadian iTunes store. Monkey says, quote, as a longtime listener, I'm always looking forward to hearing what the new arc which new arc the team will be doing next. You will get great exposure to older read seventies through nineties genre movies, and you will always leave a new with a new title or two to try to find and watch. Everyone speaks so passionately about the movies. You will find yourself wanting uh, about the movies. You'll find yourself wanting to find even the bad ones. Keep up the great work guys. So thank you so much, monkey goatee. It means so much to us to know that our, our passion comes through because that is undoubtedly our number one priority. We never claim to be experts, but rather fans that have a passion for media. And we want to share with you, guys so uh thank you for both those incredible reviews they mean so much to us um and if you haven't left us a review yet and you like what you're hearing on a weekly basis please take a couple minutes to hit up itunes and leave us that review um if there's something we need to do better uh we can't know about it until you tell us and on the other hand if you're liking what we're doing here on the show we'd love to hear about that as well so like a firm pat on the back or a molestation on the belly Yep, there it is. Both are both are equal in terms of delight. So I, I don't think so. I think I like the bit on the belly better. <laughs> but I'm ticklish, so what do oh, I? Oh man! And I apologize if I sound weird or if I start coughing. Or I came back from the Caribbean and it's fucking freezing here now, and I'm sick. So I apologize if I sound different. But mm. yeah, how much cocaine did you do? I mean, just enough. Because you might be just like detoxing. I could be. This could be the withdrawals. But or you might need another line. That 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 is always <laughs> that's always good advice. Well, that's but, what I do in the morning. Yeah, I don't have time for coffee because you got to boil right. water, then you yeah. got to brew it, and then you got to press it, and then you got to mm-hmm. put it into a clean mug if you can. It's so much yeah. easier just do a bump, you know. Exactly. 
There you go. We're uh, words to live by here, the Cinefessions podcast. But so. Speaking of our listeners, remember, you can help us decide which film we'll be reviewing on week five of this arc by going to cinefessions.com and voting for your choice in the right-hand sidebar right there on the homepage. You can't miss us, so make sure you tell us what it is you would like to have us review out of the four options listed. And just to jog your memory, those four options are Cat People from 1982, which was Mark's choice, Hmm. Ash's choice of Dark Summer from 2015, and my option of Terror Train from 1980, and then the listener pick option of Cherry Falls from 2000. So again, just head over to cinefessions.com and vote for whichever Scream Factory release you'd like to us to review on that fifth and final week of our current Scream Factory arc. And remember, that poll is going to close on Sunday, March 19th at 11.59pm, so make sure you get on there and vote for your favorite. Please, vote for mine. I mean, they're all great yeah. choices. <laughs> Oh, man. And we want to remind you guys, you can interact with us in a few different ways. You can find us on Twitter at Cinefessions. You can email us at contact at Cinefessions.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. We love comments, questions, corrections, concerns, whatever. So please reach out to us and uh, let us know what your thoughts are. And also make sure you're following our Cinefessions Instagram account where Mark, Ash, and I post a lot of our, our new media pickups and um, Ash, or rather Mark posts a, a lot of reviews on there as well from his A to Z challenge. So make sure you're checking that out and like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Cinefessions. And you can check out our long list of past reviews and all the previous 81 podcast episodes over at Cinefessions.com. 81. I know it's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot of content, and it's free. It's a lot of hours. That's right. Only all we need is a five dollar, five dollar, five star review. That's all we ask for. (laughs) That's right. We want to throw five bucks away. That ain't bad either. I'll take five bucks too. (laughs) Especially if it's a five dollar from the UK. That's like ten Canadian. Yeah, there you go. That'd be nice. And uh, finally, before we move on here, we just want to tell you uh, that uh, this episode of the Cinefessions podcast, it's brought to you by Audible. So Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial, so all of our Cinefessions listeners get a chance to check out their services. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or your Kindle devices, so head on over to audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions to get your free audiobook. That's audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions. Man, I feel mush mouth tonight. <laughs> I hate being sick. Well, you don't sound mush mouth. All right, good. My head's foggy, so I feel like an idiot. I, I, I feel I feel like we should have like a, a typed, you know, thing out, you know, what Brandon's saying over <laughs> the podcast that people can read along. Like subtitles, but for the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go. Good. I thought you were going to say a script for us to read. I'm like, I ain't even reading no script. Motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> not paying me nothing. Oh man. So, so, Ash, what have you done these past couple weeks in the world of media or otherwise? Doesn't matter. Just, just talk. Crabs. <laughs> crabs. Oh boy. King crab, Apelia crab, fucking bear eye crab, fucking. Yeah, crab. crab. Are those real crabs? Deadliest Catch. Uh, it's on Hulu. I've been watching it. Uh, they have like from season seven on, and we're up into season eleven now. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I've been watching a lot of fucking crabs. I I do like the show. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just, you know, 
so yeah yeah it's it's been interesting I, I, I we used to watch it a lot but we've never actually binged it quite this much so you know it, it's definitely different because <laughs> usually like if it popped on discovery when we had cable before we'd watch it but you know yeah. we don't have cable right now so it's just like you know yeah so but yeah they it's been that's been fun um uh haven't really done a whole lot of anything else it's been a lot yeah. of that and uh just kind of yeah working on the house so mm-hmm. yep very good i've heard you guys are up to at least 12 stairs now oh no stairs are stairs are in good but good. i didn't have to replace one of them so oh okay technically we're at 12 um there was a problem with the saw when i was first cutting the one of them and i didn't get the uh cut exactly right so i said fuck it and we just bought a new stair and i'm going to uh replace it rather than try to putty it up so oh gotcha yeah fun stuff very good well at least they're safe so yeah (laughs) that's always important yeah as much as you need a sturdy stair i think (laughs) a good rest for the uh, hand is necessary as well you need a good railing Without a good rail, the yeah. stairs would mean nothing. Right, right. That is true. Yeah, we, that is we've true. We've never actually had a railing there, so I'd suggest <laughs> a walnut rail. It's a sturdy wood. Yeah, it's there's a good <laughs> wood. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are, there aren't many uh, rooms in my house that haven't had a good railing, but uh, the the stairwell is one of them. So usually, good railings occur in the bedroom. <laughs> have a good railing pretty much anywhere <laughs> dining room oh. the bathroom it, it, oh, man. Kind of out for that because you know you make food in there but in that case maybe a good cedar <laughs> oh god <laughs> well i've missed you guys that's for sure <laughs> i haven't talked to anybody in two weeks <laughs> this is your literally your only interaction with humans so. i've sat in my chair yeah for this moment right now <laughs> i'm actually stuck to it oh god that's disgusting i have to go to the bathroom so badly you must have a lot to talk about from your week of media then actually no because my chair is facing the wall Oh, that's, um, a, that's a bitch so <laughs> yeah um all i can say is off-white oh man yeah i did uh man i feel been watching movies like crazy uh between going to the theaters um watching movies at work out of boredom and then just getting content for the podcast uh yeah it feels yeah i really it feels i haven't stopped so i'm gonna only talk about a few just because it's been two weeks and i don't want to take up too much time here um, I'll start with last night. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, get on the guest list to uh, see Before I Fall, which is a 2017 release. It's actually releasing today, if you're listening to the podcast, on the 3rd of March. Um, I was able to get uh, two passes from Elevation Pictures, so thank you for them for uh, letting me watch the film early. Um, those who don't know what Before I Fall is, pretty much think of Groundhog's Day plus Mean Girls, but minus the humor, and that's the movie. Uh, it's not a comedy. <laughs> you know, okay. That sounds like I'm knocking on it. I'm not knocking at all. It's just, it's it's that premise 
where yeah. you know uh, the mean girls at school and one of them keeps repeating the same day over and over again until she makes it right so it's totally groundhog's day but with a mean girl twist so it's set in a high school um one of the last uh, actually it's on valentine's day and uh uh, these four girls, uh, by name of uh, Zoe Dutch, which you may or may not know, I recognize her from uh, Everybody's Got Something, I believe it is. Uh, Everybody Wants Something. It's the Richard Linklater follow-up to Days and Confused. Oh, Everybody uh, she- Wants Some. Yeah. Uh, wants Some. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. Um, I couldn't read my handwriting there. Uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> you love from- that movie. I, I love that movie last year. Uh, but this is 2017, baby. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so she's in that film. And she plays the lead. So pretty much, uh, this is not a spoiler because it's in the trailer. So they go to a party, her and her three friends. They're like the mean clique at school, the popular girls. And uh, they get into a car accident. She wakes up and she relives the day over and over again. So she realizes that she has to make wrong things right in order to move on with her life. Um, so again, Groundhog's Day, Mean Girls. Not a comedy. It's almost in a way a thriller because every time she redoes the day, you learn something new from the group of friends and from specific individuals. So it's not like the film, the film is repeating itself over and over again. You're just seeing different branches of the same story. Um, I liked it. That said, I would not be the target demographic for this film. Yeah. Um, I'm turning 38 next year that's why it's like ugh. when the the first uh the first itunes review said you know classics from the 70s to the 90s i'm like oh yeah i guess (laughs) i guess 99 is classic now i'm getting old i graduated 97 (laughs) um you're old i know you should you know the white in my beard agrees with you Uh, don't feel bad mark i graduated in 95 so you know Oh, we're like we're like brothers from different mothers. I graduated in two thousand and four. Oh, you're so young and pink. I just want to <laughs> breastfeed you. <laughs> I am thirty though, so I'm pretty old. Oh uh, yeah, but if I squint, you look twenty eight. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I do look young. I would agree. Anyways, uh, yeah. So I would say this would be more for the you know high. End of high, I would say like grade 10 to grade 12 and like maybe early college. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, though, uh, these girls are very pretty and um, they're not, <laughs> you know, they're, they're very nice to look at. And you do see quite a few bra shots. And I've noticed in, in this film, I saw Melissa last night. I'm not, I'm not sure if she saw me squirming in my seat or not. But um, <laughs> girls tend to really like to grope each other these days. It's yeah. like these four friends and they're like, you know, almost kissing each other. They're groping each other's boobs. Back in high school, girls my age in, in high school, I guess at this age, I don't remember them, A, being so naughty with each other, especially in public, <laughs> and two, wearing what they wear now. Wow. A lot of mid-drift. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, wh- where was that when I was in grade 12? You know, <laughs> it was during the Grunge era, so I was flannel. Flannel and Doc Martens. I got, oh, I got screwed, dude. <laughs> so, anyhow... You're making a uh, case for being old, though, that's for sure. Uh, I am. Back Doc in my Martins. day. Oh, <laughs> Ravenna was a new man. Um, uh. Yeah, so another way to make me feel old is that the parents of the girl in this movie, mm-hmm. um, well, the mother is Jessica Beals from Flashdance. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah. the dad, which I didn't realize who he was until he took his glasses off, was Krychek 
in the early seasons of X-Files. <laughs> okay. If anybody can make that relation, uh, it's Nicholas Lea, his name, but uh, he played uh, a, a special, super, uh, super special agent Krychek in the first few seasons of X-Files. So, uh, yeah, chew on that tidbit. Um, that said, <laughs> I did enjoy it. Um, it at points, it did feel like it was a bit of a thriller. Um, uh, but then when I realized it really wasn't going to be a full fledged thriller, I was slightly disappointed because it got kind of dark in some uh, subject matters for a, you know, late teen film. Um, yeah. so again, I liked it, but I've seen it before, you know, Groundhog Day without the laughs. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it releases on, uh, on Friday. If anybody from the podcast does see it, please let us know what you thought about it by contacting us on any Cinefessions uh, form of media. I would like to know if I'm just uh, an old fart or uh, if I am uh, correct in my assessment. So, yeah. So, that was Before I Fall, uh, directed by a Rai Russo-Young. And again, starring Zoe Dutch, House and Sage, Cynthia Wu. And the fourth mean girl was Medallion Rahim, which I love as a first name. How cool is to have name your daughter Medallion? Anyways, I like That's it. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's my job to put you on the spot here. So uh, what what star rating are you given this one? Um, I give it a I give it like a out of four, a solid two and a half. Okay. Again, I'm not the target demo. Um, I dig I did dig the music in this. Um, it's just it's a cultural thing. Uh, cultural. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a um. Uh, generational thing right right but uh, again not a bad film at all i'm just not the uh, target for this film Mm -hmm. so but i did appreciate uh, seeing it i hope others will see it but because the uh, the actresses in the movie are really good and again you get to see nicholas thea and you get to see flash dance lady so jennifer beals i love jennifer beals she's a milf (laughs) so thank you again elevation pictures um let's talk a few more um so i'm gonna go into non-spoiler territory here so if i go brief on the next film uh that's why has mm-hmm. anybody had a chance to see get out yet no no, no? go see it it's good uh, hey, that's get- why i remember here reading you say yes yeah go see it if you can avoid the trailer please do so i find it reveals a lot of the of the film, but doesn't reveal everything. So I was still surprised whenever I came across something I didn't see in the trailer. Um, it's freaking fantastic. So Get Out, it's directed by Jordan Peele, who's from the uh, duo of Keen Peele. That's on, yeah. uh, that was on Comedy Central. Their show's ended now. Um, so the guys who did Keanu. Uh, so it's uh, Jordan Peele who directed and wrote this film. And it uh, stars Danielle Kalulia, I know I buggered up the last name. Um, again, Daniel Kalulia. And you might recognize him from an episode of Black Mirror. Do you guys oh, remember okay. the episode where they're, uh, it's in the future and uh, Daniel, uh, he's the lead and he's, they're bicycling. And then oh, they're yeah, yeah. credits to go on like a, a, a fucked up American Idol type of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. So he is the lead of this film. So he, in this movie, his name is Chris Washington, and he's dating a girl called Rose Armitage. Um, so he's black, she's white. She's inviting him over to his her parents for a weekend. And um, they don't know that he's black. 
So he's a little apprehensive just because he gets a previous relationships, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they head to, uh, to uh, her parents' place. And it's it's a pretty white bread town, you know. It's it's uh, I guess a higher higher income bracket and very very posh and whatnot. Um, they get harassed by the police early on. Um, <laughs> uh, the parents, uh, it's uh, Catherine Keener from Being John Malkovich. If you remember that film, uh, it's a classic now, I suppose. And uh, Bradley Whitford, which <laughs> you might know from uh, Kevin in the Woods, as one of the uh, of the uh, workers uh, that worked, uh, you know, one of the controllers in the sub basements. Yeah, yeah. He's so, uh, yeah, I, I've never watched West Wing, but uh, yes, he was on that show. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I, I don't want to get into too much of this, but race plays a big race is the main issue of this film. Um, I think it's really well done. Um, again, I would love to talk spoilers, but that would just ruin the experience. So I don't want to. So I'm going to leave it as that. Go see Get Out. I thought it was great. Um, I think it's the best film I saw so far in 2017 in the theaters. Um, okay. But yeah, man, it, it's really cool. Like it, it's it's really good. And, but it also gets you really mad. Like I, I, I got like, ah. Uh, I got upset at some points mm-hmm. because I just, uh, I you know I can't talk about it. I I don't want I want to, but I can't. So I'm gonna just leave it at that. Um, but I think it's fucking fantastic. Uh, Daniel Kalulia again. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. I probably am. Um, he's awesome in it. Um, actually, everybody's really damn good. Um, so again, check it out. It's called Get Out. Um, yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, again, if I'm gonna go with a star rating, I'm gonna give it easy a three. Oh man, I I gave it three and a half out of four. It was that good, so awesome. I'm definitely gonna watch it again when it comes out in uh, on Blu-ray. Um, so I'm gonna just talk about two more films that I really enjoyed while we were gone. Um, I got a chance to see. I went to a wrestling show last weekend, and yeah. after the wrestling show at the Mayfair, they had their ah, you know what? <laughs> Disregard that. Um, at a theater uh, that wasn't promoting a movie. Um, because they didn't have the rights for it. Um, I saw a Jackie <laughs> Chan film from 1988 called Dragons Forever hmm. with Samo Hung, Corey Yun, and uh, Jackie Chan. Oh wow! Uh, it's 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 a it was an action comedy. Um, and this is the era of Jackie Chan I really enjoy, just mm-hmm. because it's it's not his like Shaolin, you know, Temple versus Temple kind of like you know Bruce Lee stuff. It's more of the like modern day action parkour kung fu that I like a lot, like Rumble in the Bronx ish. Um, so he plays an attorney who's, uh, I guess, representing, you know, a mobster. And for him to get information for his case, he has to, he's trying to woo the assistant attorney on the other team. So in a way, it, it's an action comedy, romantic comedy at the same time. Um, the story really doesn't, isn't that great, but the action is, there are so many cool set pieces in this film. Um, Jackie Chan is flying all over the place. Samuel Hung for a big guy can move like the grace of a gazelle and an eagle because <laughs> he, he, he's really cool. Uh, Corey Young, it was this first time I see one of his, uh, I guess him in, in a movie that actually I recognized. Um, he was really funny actually. Um, yeah, so I really dug it. Uh, again, called Dragons Forever from 1988. 
I looked online to see if I can buy it, and the DVD in, in Canada is like running 40 bucks. So I'm oh. holding off on that right now. But I would love for a company to release like a Jackie Chan 80s pack with all 80s movies. Oh, that would yeah. be so cool. I'd be all over that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I recommend Dragons Forever as well. And the last movie I'm going to talk about in this segment, um, it's a film I uh, reviewed for my uh, A to Z to uh, A challenge. And uh, this is uh, called Wacken 3D or Wacken, W-A-C-K-E-N. Um, I saw this. Well, first of all, this film is a documentary about an open air metal festival that's in Germany. And the reason I heard about this is because uh, a trailer for it plays before Deathgasm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a three-day, I guess, open-air concert, and it follows uh, concert goers over their week, or I guess their weekend there. It follows some bands that are in part of an international battle of the bands, and it's got some concert footage from some metal gods like Rammstein, like um, uh, Alice Cooper, um, uh, it's got, um, I think airborne, if I remember correctly. Um, and one band I really dug that I bought one of their albums for, um, which I'm also very happy to see that they're actually coming in my area. Um, and of course I can't read my notes here. Uh, the band is called Sabaton. It's a Finnish band and all their music is based off wars. So there's a band, there's a song about like, you know, the samurai, there's a song about Spartans, and then there's oh. like World War One songs, World War Two songs, but it's all fucking, if you've ever played like Guitar Hero 3, you know, the, the band Dragon Force, they always have that crazy like rock song that, you know, it's almost impossible to play on, they get five stars, you know, like it's, it's really <laughs> crazy, like, you know, guitars and whatnot. This band um, has, it's just that, and I bought their latest album. And I fucking love it. And I'm not a huge metal guy anymore, um, but I just dug this. Uh, their most recent album is called The Last Stand. It came out, I believe, in August of last year. And um, it's fucking great. So I've become a fan of some of the bands that are in this documentary. Um, all the performances are in like crystal clear high def like it's beautiful they had ramstein and uh they had the them recorded like an 18 camera shoot just for du host and watching them live is so cool even though the song's like 20 years old now um it was just awesome to see you know uh in concert um yeah so i suggest uh, if you're into metal or if you don't know much metal like myself, uh, at least, you know, like European uh, metal, you'll see a lot of cool bands there. They filmed this in 3D. Uh, the Blu-ray I've got is only 2D. But again, with my TV, I upgraded to 3D halfway through. And there's a scene or a segment <laughs> in the film where they're just like mosh pitting in like mud because it started raining. And the mud's oh. flying at the camera. It was so cool. So That's awesome. Yeah, I really recommend this film, uh, this concert doc. Uh even if you're not a fan of the uh, of the type of music, it's still a pretty cool subculture that uh, that goes to these events. Um, so yeah, I recommend that as well. That I give an, an easy four out of four stars. It was so much fun to watch. I look forward to watching it again. I just downloaded the Sabaton album on Apple oh. Music so I can listen to it. Yes, the last dance. It is fantastic. Uh, I, there's a few songs I really dig. Uh, the first song, Sparta, you know, is really cool it, and. Uh, 
It's funny because like I was writing my review for Instagram um, while l- looking for uh, Sabaton on YouTube, and I hear all these cool yeah. songs. And they're all on the same album. I, I guess they just released a whole bunch of like videos for their most recent uh, disc. So oh, okay. I'm like, I like all these songs. They're all on the same fucking album. It's like sweet. So I paid the ten bucks yeah. and I bought it. Um, so Sparta's really good. Last Dying Breath's really good. Um, I'm a big mm. fan of a, a Shiroyama. Uh, the Last Battle, uh, Camouflage is fun. Anyways, uh, this album, 13 songs, is about 45 minutes. If I could find this on vinyl, I would buy it on vinyl as well. Because it, yeah. it, it sounds better on vinyl. Um, so, yeah, it, it, tell me what you think about it when you get a chance to listen. Uh, I thought it was Definitely. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that's a that's a good week. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I got so busy. Of course, I watch a whole bunch more, but, you know, I don't want right. to... People don't want to listen to any of our podcasts, am I right? High five. So. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, um, as as we know, last, last week I was on vacation. And so, I got to spend uh, a week in the Caribbean, which was a lot of fun with the family. And uh, they do trivia on the um, cruise ship. Okay. And uh, they did horror trivia. And I've been trying to win. Now, this is my sixth cruise. And I've been trying to win this stupid prize that they give which is just this plastic coat gold coated uh ship on a stick is what they call it <laughs> and so we've done like tons of trivia and haven't won it and so i was like oh horror trivia like i i gotta try it and like the questions they were asking were just ridiculous like a lot of it was based on newer horror films so they have all the old people who are bitching oh get something older than the 90s or you know get something from the 70s blah blah, blah. but um, like it, it worked in my favor in that sense, but even the questions they were asking, I was just like, what? Like, I don't, <laughs> as someone who spends as much time as I do in the genre, I still don't know what the hell some of these are. Do you recall um, some of the questions? What's that? Do you recall some of the questions? I, honestly, I don't. I, I knew I should have like wrote some of them down so I could talk about it, but I honestly don't. One that I do remember that pissed me off because I knew the answer and I just couldn't remember it. And it was bugging me the whole fucking time as I was finishing the, the trivia was which, sh- what, um, short story is Candyman based off of. Ooh, I honestly don't remember. Um, uh, is it is it just called uh, uh, Capri Green? Is no, it, is it, isn't it called off the the building that it's uh, that it was situated? Oh, I know what you're talking about. No, it's not. So, like, first off, <laughs> of the people in that trivia, which there was a surprising amount because it was right after like the '70s name that song trivia so a lot of people just stuck around okay and so i was surprised i'm like we're there but like i guarantee you 90 percent of the people there has never even heard of the movie Candyman, let alone seen the movie Candyman. like if they yeah. would have given me hellraiser hellbound heart i mean that's you know we know that one yeah. but but i couldn't think of it i was like oh i know it it's just like what goes in there but it's, it's from in the flesh i knew it was a clive barker yeah but it's called in the flesh is the short story name but i was just oh. that one that yeah, one got me because like yeah, yeah. It's like damn it, I just ah. Um, but so there's one question I remembered, I guess. But yeah. So anyway, before this started, my there we were doing the seventies when my dad joked. He looked at this guy. He had like kind of like a I don't just uh, non traditional hair, I guess you'd say, like shaved on the side, kind of long in the middle. I don't know, just different looking and okay. like a, a a 
some band shirt, like a metal shirt or something. And he just looked like different than the people around him. My dad pointed at me and goes, there's your, there's the guy who's gonna, who's gonna trump us in this trivia. And I was like, I don't even think he's staying. Cause like I, the shirt, he wasn't wearing a metal shirt. I, I take the back. It was a band shirt, but it was like a seventies band. And so I was thinking, no, he's probably gonna leave because he's just here for the, for the trivia, for the music. Yeah. But nope, that asshole stuck around and ended up getting one point more than me. Seven and fucking years. winning. I was so pissed. So fucking pissed. So is so he we the ended new up host finishing now? second. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That son of a bitch. Yeah, but like both of us like were probably five questions better than like the third place person out of yeah. the twenty questions. So well, uh, it was fun. really just down to the two of us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I um, love trivia. But yeah. It sucked. I wish I had Chris there because Chris is, is really good with trivia. Um but it is what it is. I was so upset. I still haven't won that stupid metal ship on a stick. And then we uh, – they had um, superheroes later on. But I was like, man, like I know superhero movies pretty decently. But I don't – like I try to read the comics but I'm so far behind trying to catch up. You know, I don't know yeah. a lot of these. So then we got down there because my sister wanted to do the 90s song trivia. Okay. And we were hearing we were hearing the questions for the superhero. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like I knew like all of the answers. Not all of them. I, I knew so many. I would have had a chance of actually winning that one and we didn't play it. And I was like, god damn. Because mm. it was already halfway through by the time we get down there. So, But yeah, 90s song trivia was a lot of fun just because that's like my era of song that I grew up with. I love it. But Do you have any Henson vinyl? I do not, but that was one of the songs on there. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> but bet your ass we knew it. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I guess that's all really uh, in terms of the cruise. That's I won't bore you with that. But um, yeah, that was that was a great time. With the family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on uh, on the way down, we did. I watched uh, for the first time. I watched Friday. With ice, uh, with ice cube. Yes, yeah, and it was pretty good. I expected it to kind of be uh, more of like a laugh out loud funny movie. Yeah, uh, than it was, but it's not really. I mean, it's funny, but it's definitely not laugh out loud funny from beginning to end. And there's kind of like a message in there, and it gets a little deeper than I anticipated it getting by the end of it. Um, I mean, it's definitely a solid film. I really liked it. You know, three star film, good film, uh, but different than I anticipated. Uh, but that was like the first time I watched that, so I'll have to check out the. I liked it enough that I want to check out the other the other two in the in the series. Or I bet other, they're not as good. Yeah, too. But I I miss Chris Tucker. Like, I, I know. What's God? He's doing? good. I have no idea. I have no idea. But he's he's really good in everything that I watch him in. Like he's just funny. He's a funny guy. Yeah. Um. On on vacation, I actually finished up my albums challenge. Um, so I'll kind of run down what I listened to. So I listened to that Our Lady Peace album that I was talking about last time, the clumsy album mm -hmm. uh, that I received in the mail. Um, and it was just as good as, 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 bleh, as I was hoping, uh, so many great songs in it and that one. And I'm really happy to own it on vinyl. I gave that one three and a half stars. Um, the rest of them were listened to using Apple music while we were on the road to new Orleans from Detroit. So we had quite a long ways to uh, drive to listen to music, but um, I went a little older with those just because I had my mom and dad there, and I know my dad likes some of the older stuff. So um, we listened to Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited, which was really enjoyable. I really liked that one. Um, there are a few moments where the harmonica got a little too much for me, uh, but overall, I really liked it. Um, I give that one three and a half stars as well. Um, we listened to two uh, through two Beatles albums, um, who's my dad's favorite band, so he was 
singing along to everything on that. He really liked that. Um, and both of them are just excellent. I, like, I've heard almost all of the songs from both of those albums, but never listened to them from start to finish as a, you know, a set piece of art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we did Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Abbey Road, which, I mean, both obviously four-star albums. I just absolutely loved them. Um, and then the last one was actually a band that my sister introduced me to. Um, and it's the first concert that I'll be going to in years. Um, it's Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, which I believe, um, if I'm remembering my, what my sister told me, he actually used to be the lead singer of Jack's Mannequin, uh, which is another band. Well, I have um, no idea who those guys are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we listened to his new one called Zombies on Broadway. I gave it uh, three stars. You know, it's good, but it wasn't as good as his first album, um, which I listened to earlier this year for that challenge. So enjoyable, but a little disappointing um, after his first one, which I really liked. So hopefully he when in concert, he plays a little bit more from his first album than, than this one. But we'll see. I'm sure it'll be a fun concert either way. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what it is about cruises, but um, I'm not much of a reader in my everyday life. I mean, well, I'm not much of a book reader, I should say, because obviously I'm, I'm reading articles, magazines, social media, all that shit all the time. But I usually don't sit down and read a book. Well, every um, every once in a while, something will catch my interest and I do, but it's just few and far between. Um, but whenever I get in a cruise, I just become this huge reader. I don't know what it is. It's probably just because I don't have any of my other things. I don't have social media. I don't have uh, my video games, things like that. So uh, I turn to reading. Um, it's not, and so. It's not- not even that. You know what it is, and Why? I know it. Yeah, it's okay. like you need you need to hold something in your hands while you're on the pool deck, yeah, on, or on the poop deck, depending where you're at, right? Um, yeah, so that you know when you're staring at other bikini girls, you can yes. dart your eyes back down to the printed word, yeah, so you won't get caught. <laughs> so it, the book is kind of like a wingman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you nailed it! You nailed I it! You sure, sure did! Sure, I sure did. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good for pointing that out. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, the last couple of cruises, I was actually reading through the horror movie a day book, um, but this time I decided on something different. So, on our way down to New Orleans, we uh, stayed the night at some town. It was Alabama or Mississippi. I honestly don't remember which. Um, but either way, it had a books a million. So I kept bugging my family the whole time we were going to dinner. I was like, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Um, but they all know how obnoxious I am in bookstores. Like I usually spend a long time in a bookstore. So no one would agree to go with me except for my wonderful mother. So mom and I went and uh, I was looking. I decided I wanted to try to find the uh, the first novelization of the Walking Dead series, which I, as far as I know, is called Rise of the Governor. Um, and so I was looking for that through the sci-fi section for it. And uh, then I happened to notice this short story collection had finally released that I'd been waiting on for quite a while. In fact, I was waiting on it for so long that I forgot it was coming out. And so when I saw it, I was overwhelmed with happiness. I was very excited. Um and so it's uh, Planet of the Apes, Tales from the For- Forbidden Zone from Titan Books, um, edited by Jim Beard and Rich Hanley. Um, it has 16 short stories and it runs just over 400 pages. I mean, I never finish a book as quickly as I devoured this one. Um, it only took me the week I was on vacation, actually, to finish the whole thing cover to cover. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, most of our listeners will know that I'm a huge Planet of the Apes uh, universe fan. And so to get the first set of sh- short fiction dedicated to this incredibly massive timeline was really awesome. Um, there's so many notable stories in there and anyone that likes this universe, definitely going to want to check this book out. Um, I'm really hoping that we get another collection uh, short, sooner rather than later because this one was really good. Um, I actually reviewed it for the website this week and, and it has the honorable distinction of being the very first uh, written book review for Cinefessions. So there's that. Um, but really – 
If you like the Apes universe, check this book out. You can uh, find my review on cinefessions.com and there's a link there to purchase it through Amazon, which I think is only 10 bucks right now as of this recording, which is not bad at all. So definitely recommend it. I really like that. Um, I, I just hope we get more because it was awesome. And, and so because I, I spent so much time reading that over, over vacation, when I got home, I was just craving to watch the films again. So I pulled out my, my 40th anniversary Blu-ray collection that has all the movies in it. And lo and behold, the disc for the first film won't play. I took it out a couple of times thinking it was just my Xbox One acting up because that happens every once in a while with the Blu-ray player. Yeah. Uh, but it just wouldn't work. And then I looked at it and the fucking thing had a tiny little crack on it. Oh, that sucks. And I had, know. Have you, had, have you had watched it before or was this like – Yeah, so – Okay. If you know this set, anyone who owns this has to know how shitty the packaging is. So – the like the set itself is beautiful, but the discs themselves, how they're stored, is garbage. So, like, there's this small little piece of what looks like glue. Uh, do you have the Omen box set by any chance? No. Okay, but it's the same type of thing there, except, frankly, it's a little bit better than the Omen box set because the Omen box set, uh, the pieces of glue actually fall off very easily, and one of mine has already fallen off. But uh, okay. they stay on the Planet of the Apes set, but. It's still this little piece of glue that you ha- – it takes a ton of force to pull the – pry the movie off of the box mm-hmm. and to put it back on. It's just a pain in the ass. And so either when I pulled it out this time or last time when I put it back in, I, I clearly cracked it. And so, okay. you know, it's the smallest of cracks though. Like I can't imagine – I can't believe it's what's ruining the entire disc. Uh, but I've tried it in multiple players. I even put it in my computer drive thinking I could just rip the movie to my hard drive and watch it that way, but that wouldn't work either. So it pisses me off. I have another copy lined up to purchase on Amazon, but it's it's just the Planet of the Apes disc, um, Blu-ray. And it yeah. sucks because they don't sell this 40th anniversary edition anymore, and so I can't get the exact disc to make that set you know, hold its value, which that sucks. bug me to no end. Yeah, it pisses me off, man. Uh, I mean, you know, it is what it is, so... Yeah, so I haven't been able to watch it yet, but uh, I'm going to be purchasing the new discs shortly here. So I want to check kind of my used disc uh, disc replay. It's what it's called. I want to check mm-hmm. that first and see if they might have it used um, for cheap. But we'll see. So yeah, that was my uh, my couple of weeks. So awesome. Had a, How's had it a great, great week off. You know, it's pretty good. Yeah. I went back to work and they said, "Oh, look, you're tanned more than usual." And I was like, "Yeah, a little bit." I spent a ton of time outside. So. Definitely Good. got tan on, on all three ports we went to. We had an excursion, so we spent a lot of time outside, and it was uh, it was awesome. So, so between us three and the wall, uh, how decent yeah. was the talent on the boat? Uh, I knew you were going to ask that, and honestly, it was a little <laughs> disappointing. Really, um, it was. I guess given the time of year and uh, the type of cruise, it was a much um, older. Season. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> a much more seasoned crowd than um, I've seen in the past, so um, it was a little disappointing in that in that front. But yeah, that's all right. My wife's beautiful, so I had plenty to look at. Exactly. That's and you right. had your book to read. <laughs> that's right. Oh man. So I just thought of this while I was at work today, okay. um, and I and frankly. I don't know if any of us are going to have a yes answer to this, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So uh, just as, as a question of the week option for us here. So we've reviewed dozens and dozens of films and or television shows on the podcast. Have any of you guys gone back 
to any of the films or TV series that we've reviewed and watched them again since our initial review? And if you have, which ones? And did your opinion of it change at all? I would say no, I haven't. Yeah. Just because we have so much other stuff to watch. I haven't mm-hmm. gotten back to a film that we already reviewed. I do want to rewatch Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 1 before I do Season 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I just reviewed the last episode of that season, though. But right. that's something I want to revisit. Uh, but apart from that, no. I don't think I've gone back. Because usually I tend to watch a movie a few times after we yeah. uh, after we review. And I kind of don't want to see it for a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. my answer is no. And what about you, Ash? Um, I haven't, not, no, I don't think so. I'd have to double check, but I don't think I have. Yeah, and without, I didn't do too much research into it, but nothing, I, my answer would be no as well, as far as I can remember. Um, So not a very good question, but just interesting, because I think, and I think the reason is, is because we, you know, we watch them, whether we watch them once, we watch it three times, twice, whatever. It's, we're not just, um, it's not just a... Uh, what am I trying to say? Like, uh, it's an active viewing experience when we're watching it to review for the podcast, at least for myself. And I'm sure for you guys as well, because we're trying to pick out things to discuss on the podcast. So it's more of an active experience than kind of the, uh, letting it flow by the, uh, in <laughs> the opposite cardio. of the word active. <laughs> yeah, it's a mental cardio. Usually I but, start sweating and I get tired yeah. at the end. Right. Like I, I like to jog in place. Like I don't, I don't do it uh, purposely. It just happens because things are just rolling in my head so much that my feet just start going up and down. And it's like, whoa, like I'm jogging in place right now, you know? So I can see the sweating. I see well, where that you're comes phys- from. You're a physical guy. Actually, yeah, thank it, you. it's funny you bring back question of the week because I have a question for you guys. Yeah, good. Um, I thought about this while making coffee tonight because I was mm-hmm. out of cocaine. Yeah. So is it cheating? Now, I'll preface this because uh, I saw online that uh, there was a discovery of a previously deleted scene from Ghostbusters. Oh, you know, okay. You know when um, Ray Stance gets the ghost blowjob? Well, <laughs> they filmed uh, a whole a whole scene around it where he's at the oh. fort, fort something and he's all dressed up like a, like an admiral or whatever. Yeah. And I guess they recently uncovered that footage in some one of Ivan Reitman's like storage units. <laughs> so I guess it'll be out for the next fucking version of the film. Um, so would it, right. So would it be considered cheating to have sex with a ghost if you're with someone? Well, because I think you'd have, to, you'd have to talk with your partner. I don't know. No, but but let's say like you're you're sleeping, you know, and then you wake up and holy shit, there's a ghost on me, you know. Um, uh, I don't. I would say no. I would say no. What about I you, would, Ash? I would say no either. It, I, I'd say. Uh, no, if that happens, in that case, it's not consensual. Right. You know, if you're going there purposely to get a blowjob from the ghost, yeah, yeah, yes. That's if you're point. seeking, if you're seeking it, but this is a full, a full torso vaporous aspiration. It's got, it's got arms, and you don't, you might not see like, uh, you know, waist down. It becomes more misty, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's got appendages and it's got a pretty mouth, and you know. <laughs> You're you're like you're you're just innocent bystanders like oh I'm being haunted oh yeah I'll call Ghostbusters in five minutes you know <laughs> right yeah you gotta let things play out a little bit know what's yeah. going on um I mean when it happened to me I my wife yeah. didn't think I was cheating on her so I mean that's uh, I can only give you my experience though if anything you're a victim question would you be okay right. with you know your partner you know 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's bullshit. I would not accept that in any shape, way, shape, or form. Ah, see, you're a little less, a uh, little less, uh, ex- uh, I don't know what the word is. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying no, no ghost. No. <laughs> but if it's me, I, I have no problems with it because, you know, I can only control myself. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? Asshole. <coughs> <laughs> that's that? the word I was looking for. Oh, hold on. Test, test. One, two, test, test. <laughs> Toast. Toast. Oh. Do you have any question of the week options for us, Ash, or should we move on? Uh, no, I got nothing. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> well, thank you for um, to both myself and Mark for the uh, enlightening questions of the week this week. Yes, a special thank you to me. Yep. Um, and now if you guys have anything for us, um, any of our listeners here, please hit us up using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all your questions that you'd like us to answer here on the show. We're going to do our best to give those questions as much thought as we put into our questions. And that I can promise you. Mm. Yep. So hit oh. us up on Twitter, InFilm, hashtag InFilmWeTrust, or just tag us on Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Email us at contact at cinefessions.com. Whatever. Just get us those questions. All right. So let's move over to our review of the week. So we are looking at specifically Scream Factory's release of 1981's The Howling. So like with any film that we review on the show, there will be spoilers for The Howling. So if you have not seen this movie, make sure you hit pause, go watch the film. Come back and hit play and listen to the rest of the podcast. So, nah, 1981's The Howling, directed by Joe Dante, written by John Sayles and Terrence Winkless, based on the novel by Gary Brandner, and has an IMDb score of 6.6 out of the 23,811 votes currently as of this recording. It has no Metacritic score, but it does have a 66% uh, score on the tomato meter and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 58%. It had a low budget of about $1 million and it grossed domestically about $17.98 million. So Ash, what's your history with The Howling? Have you seen this one previously? Uh, Yeah, I watched this one and American World a lot when I was growing up. I've seen it a lot. I don't know how many times. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Mark? What's your history with uh, The Howling? I bought the original like MGM DVD a long time ago. So I've had it in my collection for quite a while. Awesome. Yeah, so just um, to point out, the Scream Factory released this as a collector's edition mm-hmm. on June 18th of 2013. So one of their um, – not first, but definitely one of the early batches of collector's editions. I wish they had spine numbers. As a collector, I love spine numbers. I just wish they had them. It makes something neat and orderly. Exactly. Thank you. God, somebody gets me. I, I get you, boo. Thanks. Um, I have never seen The Howling. This was my first time watching The Howling. So. I wish it was a ghost. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. I can leave you two alone if you want a room. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I'd much rather you watch. But. Yeah, me too. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't know that I want to watch. <laughs> do, you any, do you have any of that cedar railing with you by any chance? Oh, God. I, I saved my cedar railing for a special woman. <laughs> Is it a ghost? <laughs> oh, man. Actually, it's more like a mahogany. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Wood. Okay. So... 
Um, the Howling. So yes. this one, this one had uh, it starts off so different than I would have expected, and I think it's interesting because it it kind of starts off as as feeling like a serial killer film of sorts, which obviously in turn can make it a slasher film. And then watching some of the special features, which we'll talk about later, they mentioned that it was marketed basically. Excuse me. Marketed as a slasher film because they were so popular back in the early 80s when this came out. And so I think that's really interesting because it has that feel to it right from the be- from the beginning, I felt. Um, yeah, just, that's, what I, that's what I like about it. The opening yeah. sequence. You know, this is pre-Giuliani, New York, where everything is grimy and, you know, going downtown is scary. You know, it, it's movies like this well, watching, you know. This is Los in- Angeles. Oh, fuck me. Really? <laughs> yes, it is Los Angeles. But I thought the same thing, but then I was like, "Oh wait, nope, this is well, LA." No, it looks like fucking yeah. New York City. Uh, I know it does. So this feels like uh, pre Marion uh, Barry. <laughs> is, he, is he Los Angeles? I have no idea. A Barry sounds right, yeah, but I have no uh, idea. Anyhow, uh, it, it's just got that like you know late seventies, early eighties like grime, you know. Yeah, I know the, what you mean. Porn star, uh, porn stores. That's it. it P booths and yeah. It feels very East Coast, which is is interesting because it does feel East Coast, but it is in fact West Coast. Um, because you look at like it feel more like Scorsese as opposed to um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola or something like that. It just has that East Coast feel to it, so I understand why you would think New and, York until they go to the fucking uh, community or uh, uh, you know, and they go, right. go camping. Then obviously, yeah. it feels more like you know the redwoods of California. Ex- exactly. Just exactly. the city feel itself, the grime, the seeniness. Um, you know, again, I guess if we're going, if we're going West Coast, um, you know, it reminds me also of like the early Angel films, which oh, I don't think okay. any of you have seen, which I no. highly recommend, you know, with, with uh, Angel, you know, being a, a teen prostitute, mm-hmm. dealing with the gigolos and then the hookers and the, yeah, the good old days. Anyways, mm-hmm. I was two. So, uh, <laughs> that's what I like about this film. And that's why I find this movie is really interesting because it yeah. does go one way. Mm-hmm. And as I wanted to continue on the mean streets, it then becomes like a, a camping movie. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And by it, the, like, I find the original poster art for the howling so cool, but you wouldn't get that vibe off the, the marketing of the film. And, and that's weird because frankly, I feel like if it, I, I feel like I haven't watched this film because of the marketing, like. It just looked like another generic werewolf movie to me. Okay. And I'm not a huge were I mean what I can't I don't even know of that many werewolf films. Like I liked American Werewolf in London. I, yeah. I like that one a good amount. Um but other than that, I don't really know that I've seen too terribly many. So I don't know that, you know, I just it never really piqued my interest looking at the marketing for it. Mm-hmm. But watching it I, I really enjoyed it and I really <laughs> wish I would have watched it sooner because it's so different than what I have seen or what I expect to see when it comes to a werewolf movie. I, I think the problem with this movie compared to other role films, and I guess I was reading about it, I guess in the early 80s there were, there were quite a bit. There just weren't that many really good ones. Right. And the two good ones was The Howling and American Wolf American in London. Werewolf. Yeah. After that, everything else just looked cheap. Yeah. What know? else is there? There's Wolfen, right? Yeah, there's bad Wolfen. Moon. There's Bad Moon. Um, I'm trying to think of other well, ones. Ginger Snaps was late. But Ginger, Ginger Snaps. Oh, yeah. I've seen yeah, Ginger that, Snaps. That's, that's yeah. like late, late uh, 90s. 90s, yeah. Um, 
But really, like, you think werewolf movies, you think these two. And really, you do think London first, and mm-hmm. then you think Howling. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, I get, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I thought I, I, I've always liked Dee Wallace and she's an amazing person when you meet her, when you meet her in person. Um, she just has an, a wonderfully positive, um, uh, vibe to her energy about her when you meet her. She's so awesome. And I feel like it always comes through in her films. I think she did such a great job with this role. Um, she's dealing with things that make her as a, as a person makes D Wallace uncomfortable, like this pornography. Like she says in one of the special features, she's a Kansas girl. Um, and she sit, go, walks through this adult bookstore with the, watching the pornography, um, dealing with these things that make her f- uncomfortable. And it comes through in the character so well because it's so genuine. Uh, and then at other moments where she's, uh, like having a good time or, or laughing, those feel just as, as, as real. And I think she does such a good job with it right from, from right when we first meet her in that walking into that phone booth. I think she's great. Well, it also doesn't hurt that, you know, with this film and as well with Cujo, you know, she is, um, acting with her husband. Right. Know? Yeah. So you do get that sense of fam- yep. familiarity a bit, you mm-hmm. know, um, which, which is also a bit of a mind trip because, I listened to this film with commentary with uh, Dante, with herself, mm-hmm. uh, with Christopher Stone, and with Robert Picardo. Okay. And doing the IMDb on this because I wasn't uh, sure uh, exactly when this was uh, recorded. Um, well, Christopher Stone passed away in 95. So this was recorded for the Image Entertainment Laserdisc. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which kind of crazy that this, like, this commentary track is over 20 years old. Right. You know, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel 20 years old. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I find that Screen Factory really did a good job in cleaning, um, any, uh, any audio hiccups or, or pollution because it feels and it sounds like they were, you know, they just recorded this for this, for this release. That's so awesome. So that was kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great commentary track for those that are into that kind of stuff. I thought they set up the beginning of the movie really well um, in terms of the character. Uh, what, what's D. Wallace's character name? Karen? Yeah, Karen. Karen White. Uh, Karen doesn't know that she's basically all out there alone. She thinks she has communication back to, uh, you know, the police or the news station. I can't, I wasn't quite she's, sure what it was. Yeah, she's, she's wired, right? Yeah. But. As the audience, we know that 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 communication has been lost, and so we they don't know where she is, what what's going on, um, and I think that giving the letting the audience in on that sets this whole scene to be really unnerving, um, just because we know she's out there all alone, meeting this who we don't really know who he is yet, but meeting this Eddie. Um, the fact that we know she's alone, but she doesn't, it just worked really well to build that tension in the beginning of the movie. It totally does. And just the fact that, you know, she's not in a familiar situation. Um, like she, again, she's in a phone booth. There's a guy in front of the, in front of the phone booth. She's, you know, she's talking to a, a killer, you know? Um, did you know who the guy in the phone booth was? Yeah. It's Roger Corman. Yeah. I didn't know that until I was watching all the extras. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. There's, there's two really cool cameos, you know, there's yeah. Roger Corman. And then when they're in, um, the, uh, occult bookstore, the with, bookstore uh, yeah. with Dick Miller, you've got, uh, Forey Ackerman, mm-hmm. who 
was the uh, main guy from uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Yeah, and he's holding uh, the magazines. Yeah, always a promoter. So, yeah. so that was pretty cool to see Forey and uh, and Roger uh, in this uh, film doing cameos. And it's so impressive how much Joe Dante is able to fit in there. Um, and I just didn't catch virtually any of it, you know, but, um, for those that are more intelligent than I am and just more well versed than I am, especially in older, um, the horror, the horror world, um, it's, it's really impressive because he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, like waste time on it. The only time where it, he may have been able to cut away a little sooner was when it was Roger Corman, but, you know, Roger Corman was his idol growing up, you know what I mean? So he was okay with leaving that in. Um, but otherwise it's very quick, like having the famous monsters guy in there and turn around and holding the book. They don't focus in on it or anything. It's just there. Um, and, and there's so much. No, no. And exactly. No, it, it won't affect the story in any, yep. any way. Shape, or and form. I love that. And I think it's cool that, you know, like the same way that how um, James Gunn has Lloyd Kaufman Yes, the uh, movies. You know, right. Dante. Dante's a Corman guy. You yep. know, he uh, he honed his uh, his skill working on uh, Corman productions. Right. So it's, it's nice to have a little homage, you know, to uh, you know, uh, to somebody he looks up to in exactly. his own film. So yeah, um, I do have to give Robert Picardo huge, huge fucking props in this. Uh, oh God, yeah. Because I mean, he sells that, and it and. I'm actually more familiar with Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager. So mm-hmm. I know I th- I remember him at, more as the emergency medical hologram than <laughs> was just like holy shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, him yeah. and Dante go way back and you see Picardo in multiple uh, films of his, like in The Burbs he's one of the trash can guys with uh, or a garbage man I should say with uh, Dick Miller. Um so yeah, he's he's all over the place in Dante films. And but what's awesome? In, oh, go. You can continue. I'm sorry. Oh, but just just in this movie. Yeah, I've never like I've met Robert Picardo, nice <laughs> guy. I have never seen him so creepy, other than this movie. Like he okay. is dirty. He's yeah. slimy. Uh, he's 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 gross, and that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic in this, and I'm sure sitting through the hours and hours of the makeup he had to do helped help with that. Uh, him getting into the character and just brooding because I'm sure that couldn't have been fun. Totally. Um, but and I love that this was his first, uh, f- like his film, his first film work, and before he's a Yale. He says he, later in one of the, the special features, he's a Yale trained actor, which is one of the best acting schools in the country. He is. He had two leading roles on Broadway, and then he comes to the comes to L.A. to Hollywood, and he's in a low budget horror film where they're putting makeup on him for hours at a time. I mean, it's just amazing. I love that story that he tells and that that anecdote that he tells, and he's so fucking good. And so especially the way Dante focuses on his mouth when he's talking to yes. for the first time. Right. I'm like, oh, it's so scuzzy. Mm-hmm. It makes the viewer feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely does. And um, the way they use the, the dark to kind of hide his face mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the sex booth or in the peep show booth, whatever the fuck that's called. Um, that, that They just do it really well. Obviously, it's to hide the fact that he's a werewolf, um, but it just lets the imagination play wild. I really thought the 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 head honcho of the um Colin. the news station, Fred, oh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, yes. 
he's what a great character actor um he was just a real asshole right from the beginning uh you know it's all about the ratings for him but he did he plays his part really well and he's he's quite entertaining and like do news station managers still do editorials these days I don't know. I don't think so because, like, I I see him doing his editorial, yeah. and I remember watching him as a kid. Mm-hmm. But to see this now, I'm like, ah, they don't do that anymore, right? You know, I just think it, it's kind it's kind of funny. Like, you know, he's the newsman, but he's behind the scenes, right? right. So he wants to give his two cents. I love he points to himself. Now there's the look of a real professional. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The stupid dog got me. I was like, God damn you. It was an easy jump scare and it still got me. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> dog. Also weird because I thought they had gone up steps to go to Eddie Quist's uh, apartment. And then you see the dog just, you know, bark uh, at the window. So I guess I completely got myself disoriented. But Yeah, I they thought- only show walking. Like they only show, um, what's his name? Poking his head right? through the door. Okay. Yeah, it just seemed like he, uh, like they had gone up like a flight of stairs. But I guess that's just my mind, just you know, assuming. Um, but as well, creepy, creepy bedroom with the newspaper clipping, yeah. drawings, and the bones. Yeah. Apparently, uh, one of the set designers on the hauling also was a uh, set designer for Texas Chainsaw. So uh-huh. the bones and the skins that you see were uh, leftovers from the film shoot of Texas Chainsaw. Hmm, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was interesting. And <laughs> like the unicorns in uh in uh Blade Runner from from uh Legend. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they're uh he I, he uh he had him. I can't remember the exact story, but he ended up the there's a unicorn sequence dream sequence in Blade Runner. And it had something to do with um he was, uh, really Scott was all pissed off about not being able to use the unicorns properly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't even, I've only seen Blade Runner once and I don't remember. I've never seen Legend. Something. And I haven't seen Legend either. That's true. But, um, I thought it was interesting and I don't know why, but they, they brought up the fact twice in like the first probably 20, 25 minutes of it that Karen kept her maiden last name and didn't take her husband's last name. And I was trying to figure out if that was going to mean anything or if that was going to do anything or what, but it didn't, I felt like after watching and nothing else, I think probably it's just a more a sign of the times than anything else, because I feel like that's more common now than you'd see back then. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, she's a modern woman and she doesn't need to use her husband's last name. So at that time, that wasn't something that was in... In vogue, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, we have we have to be having the names. Frowned but... upon at the time. Yeah, it was hugely frowned upon at the time. Mm. And it's the same thing like Die Hard, you know, where she's not using uh, the McLean last name. Yeah. So you know, right when she got up to the um, the colony, I wrote down that I, I felt like I feel like having her up this colony may do more harm than good. She's definitely on the same level of odd as these people she's surrounded by now. Um, which was kind of that gut feeling to what's going to happen with the movie. Oh, no, 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 Slim Pickens is there. It's fine. I know. I did love Slim Pickens. They had, like uh, John uh, Carradine, Slim Pickens. I mean, there's so many good and fun actors that they had up there. I really like them. Yeah, I, I really didn't see the point that the doctor prescribing her time at the colony. Yeah, um, it was just like kind of to get her up there. <laughs> I myself, I'd rather just chill at home, but that's just right. Me. Yeah, I did love the line. 
Um, honey, you were raised in LA. The wildest thing you ever heard was Wolfman Jack. This is the country. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a funny line. Oh, it is. It's, it's great. It's dated now, but right. Funny. Yeah. Very good line. But, um, and I loved, um, I, I honestly, I didn't expect to see Eddie's body missing from the morgue. I don't know why, because it makes perfect sense, but I was genuinely surprised when, when Eddie showed up missing. I was like, oh, because I thought maybe he, if, if he was going to turn into a werewolf, that it would, you know, he'd kind of be there and turn there. But, um, I was, I was, I was shocked. I, I thought it was really cool how they portrayed, like they saw, you, you know, they opened the uh, morgue door and mm-hmm. it's damaged from the inside, which you really yeah. dug. Yeah, and absolutely. Funny enough, they actually shot inside a real morgue, and uh, the actual morgue doctor, I guess, or attendant. Yeah, um, he you can see him in the in in like you know behind the not behind the scenes, but just in in the background. Mm-hmm. And I guess he was so excited to have a film shoot in his office. Oh. And he kept showing Dante different things, you know, how to how to <laughs> extract this. And just, he was just excited to have people downstairs in the basement. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I did like was the actual, um, I guess in the film, the Morgan attendee. He had a yeah. burger right beside a brain, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Open. That's, that's actually John Sales, the, one of the writers. Yeah, yeah. He's playing that actor. But yeah, or that's the actor playing that part. But yeah, the, I was, <laughs> oh, it doesn't bother me. So great. It's just fucking disgusting. But that burger looked really good, though. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And so it goes from this kind of the serial killer film to, and then it kind of introduces a fish out of water type story um, with specifically with the husband and how he interacts with the other men at the camp or at the whatever it was they called the, the colony. The colony, thank you. Um, so it, it felt a bit like a fish out of water story, and I thought that was interesting, but I thought it was well done, and I was surprised at how well the husband was actually handling everything. I really liked him up until that point. What I find funny, too, is that, you know, they kept serving him uh, meat, but he's a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he made and a then, comment. Yeah, he had made a comment in the film. Uh, I think it's in the deleted scenes, if I remember correctly, where he talks about how... One of his best friends had shot a deer once, and that was the last time he spoke to his best friend. So he's like a, a total vegetarian. I wouldn't call him mm-hmm. vegan because I don't know, but totally against you know eating meat. And I'm like, yeah. I don't like you between that and those sweaters, which <laughs> is ex- <laughs> him that that stupid white sweater with the buttons he had at the beginning, and um, uh, these purple outfit. Mm-hmm. It's their actual clothing. So I guess. Oh really. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, dude, that's, that's not even a wardrobe person. <laughs> that is your sweater. Oh, God. Oh, so gross. That's hilarious. But, I mean, the the whole reason they add in the vegetarian thing is obviously so that when he does get bit by the werewolf, yeah. he eats that piece of meat. And he's like, oh, when I'm hungry enough, I'll eat anything. So it's all for that so that we can get yes. the idea that he's turning into the werewolf, yeah. um, which I is is done really well. Um, it makes makes perfect sense. He gets cooler once he's bitten. Yes, absolutely. And um, uh, Ma- Marsha, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth Brooks. Gosh, yes. she's so Mar- gorgeous in Marcia this. Christ. Oh, my God. Again, doing research on this, uh, she unfortunately passed away at a young age of, yeah. I think, 41? I saw due that. To, uh, cancer. Well, I thought it was 46. Could be. Uh, let me go she was back. born in uh, 51 and passed. Yes, 46. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, 41, 46. She yeah. still died way too young. Yeah. No, absolutely right. I was bummed because I'm like, I don't remember seeing a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, well, that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. Yeah, but she's great in this and she's she's gorgeous. Um, One of my favorite. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Hold on. Uh, were you surprised by the full frontal? Oh, absolutely. Did you absolutely. Pause it? I was surprised. Did I? Pa- no, I didn't pause it, but I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to watch the commentary track, so. That's true. <laughs> Which was hilarious. Uh, I I guess we should talk about special features kind of at the end, but I, I, I'll bring it up. Um in the commentary track, the one I listened to, which is not advertised on the back of the box, was with the author of the original novel that this was based off of and a moderator. And I didn't think they were actually watching the movie because the whole thing felt like a podcast. Okay. Uh, I didn't think they were actually watching. And then all of a sudden, that scene comes up and, and the old man, uh, Brad, Brandner, Bradner, I keep messing up his name. Um, but the author is like just loses it completely. Brandner. Um, he's like, oh, here it is. Here it is. And so, you know, that's like the only moment you can actually tell that they're watching the movie is when she takes her clothes off. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. I have to admit, I was still surprised. I, I keep getting surprised by full frontal. Yeah. Back in the day, because I'm thinking that's just a 90s porn thing that got popular. Right. But no, full frontal happened a long, I mean, a long time ago. Yeah. So I, but I always get like, you know, like I'm just surprised by like seeing, you know, Bush. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Know. I know. W- I was, I was surprised too. Yeah. I'm, I was very pleased, but it was just very surprising. Oh, yeah. I'm not complaining in any way. <laughs> um, one of my favorite scenes. Uh, has to be uh, one of my favorite. I guess it's a couple scenes, but the the bookstore at the bookstore with Dick Miller, who is yeah. just fan fucking tastic in this, <laughs> and he's actually a, a character, an actor that is in every one of Joe Dante's films except for one where his part ended up getting left on the the cutting room floor. But um, he's an actor that he always uses, and I I didn't know that, and I love that finding that out. But man, he's so good in this, and that bookstore scene is just fantastic. He's All of awesome. them. Um, there's a documentary out called, I think I am Dick Miller or I'm not Dick mm. Miller. And it's about his career, which I need to watch. Oh, wow. But yeah, I do too. Have you seen a bad Dick Miller performance though? Nah, not, nothing that I could ever think of. No. Yeah. He's, no, he's no I haven't great. seen his whole filmography. Obviously he's done right. over, like, Hundred, over 150, 200 things. That's yeah, ridiculous. Well, there you go. Um, so obviously, you know, I've only seen a drop in his bucket, but mm-hmm. uh, I always smile when I see him on screen and I, this is probably one of my more favorite performances because he's not playing a, a kook. You know, like in right. Gremlins, you know, he's a drunk yeah. uh, war veteran. And this yeah. one here, he's a businessman. He's yeah. a fast-talking businessman. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. I really dig it. But not just him, but like Belinda Balak- uh, Belaski, uh, who plays Terry, she's she's awesome as well. And, there, oh, and Dennis Duggan, who plays uh, her partner, he's mm-hmm. awesome too, you know, which she turns out to be the hero of the film. Um, right. Yeah, so like they have a great chemistry as well, and uh, they're they're fun to watch. I I I enjoyed um, seeing Belinda and Dennis more than Dee and Christopher. I like I preferred that couple over Dee's couple. As a couple, I would I would definitely agree with you there. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that it it took quite a while for me to realize that Terry and Chris were actually a couple, um, and I may have just missed some cues. I don't know, but. It was when they were obviously in bed together. That was yeah. the, the giveaway. But before I was surprised, I was surprised to see them in bed together because I didn't. I thought they were just kind of partners. I didn't realize they were, you know, sexual partners. I guess I, I, I assumed their relationship was hush hush. 
Okay. I don't think they lived together. But and that's, at the same that's, time, yeah. he answered his phone. Right. So I don't I don't know. So maybe they're a married couple that work together. Yeah, I just be. assumed that they weren't married. That's interesting. But, yeah, because I did write down that they it was hid pretty well when they were out in public. So I guess it ga- kind of gave me that same impression that maybe it was just they didn't they it wasn't like an open thing. Yeah, I also kind of laughed at their uh, bed scene mm-hmm. just by the size of the bed how small it was for two people. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's queen size, so you know, so right. like, is, was that a twin? I, I, <laughs> that's not very I big. You know? I, it didn't it didn't catch my attention. I guess. Oh, I caught mine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Um, one thing that I thought was kind of strange was so at, at one point D, you know, confronts um Chris or not Chris rather, but uh her husband. What the hell was his name? Uh, William. William. Thank you. About Bill, right? About um Marsha, but they don't really ever set up anything that we see on camera. That those two are kind of close to hooking up or that Marsha really wants him. Um, the very beginning, he's looking for his wife and he comes upon Marsha. And that's when you kind of get the sense that, oh, maybe Marsha tr- wants to, you know, jump his bones. But there's nothing that they show between like an interaction between the three of them or that we we know D is watching or well, Karen rather is watching. So I thought that was weird that she would kind of bring that up. Well, not the three of them, but when, you know – when um, Bill goes to give uh, Marsha the rabbit, she's full on like wanting him, right? Right, um, but but, but th- how would th- Karen know about that? Because she wasn't there. Well, look look at the colony. Who else would there be? You know, like she she's become besties with um, what's her name? Uh, looking down the list, and I can't find it. You know, I know, she, yeah. You I know, remember what I, mean? I know you're talking besties. about. And then, apart from that, are there any other women? Right, but what would make the jump that he's the jump that she made girls, about him? Those are like. Well, that was the as my wife reminded me. That was a big thing in the early '80s, late '70s films. Was women's intuition? The woman always knows. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like, you yeah, look like you just got relieved, and I don't smell no ghost. <laughs> you know? So. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, just girls know, dude. You know, that's why you need to write a good book. Like, you got to put the work in. Oh, man. Um, I thought the the first werewolf attack was pretty good. Um, It came out of nowhere. It was quick, and it didn't reveal a lot, which I liked. Um, So kind of leaves the werewolf a mystery still which is really good well what i found funny is that you know you know they're hunting for uh i guess for the rabbits or whatever (laughs) and they use um the other quist as a sniffing dog (laughs) (laughs) he looks so canine in human form you know yeah Uh, i just think it's funny with his vest and that he's you know he's acting like a bloodhound Right. And it's surprising that Bill never really thought twice about it. You know, he's mm-hmm. shooting the shit with the other hunters, you know, about, you know, just guy stuff. But then, it, oh, look, this guy's got a, he's got the scent. I just found that funny that, uh, you know, they, they didn't really, they really explain why he's the hunt, like he's the, the tracker for the group. <laughs> and he's so dog-like. I'm like, ah, that's like a total, that's a total, you know, uh, it's a total clue. And right. It just seems like it goes over his head, like he doesn't think twice about it. 
Yeah. It, um, it, they just say, you know, it, he has the nose of a bloodhound or whatever. And frankly, I, you know, I, I was, I didn't realize that he was going to be aware. Like I had an idea, but it didn't, uh, it didn't give it away for me, I guess I'd say. Okay. Yeah. His name is TC Quist. So they call him TC. I forgot TC, his first name. Yeah. But he looks so grody as a human. Yeah, definitely does. Um, I liked the 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 first werewolf transformation scene. So it's not the full one later with Eddie, obviously. Um, but I like that that first one right until the very end when it turns into a cartoon in front of the fire as Oof. the camera panned up to the moon. Um, yeah. Other than that part, I thought it was it was well done with the makeup. It still looks off. <laughs> like yeah, I remember, well, I mean, granted, when I was first watching it, I thought, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" But when I saw it again later on, I think on DVD, I was like, "Okay, that looks a lot different than it used to." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one thing with this film is that the 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 non uh, I guess Rick Baker special effects um, look pretty bad. So you got the animation, which looks bad, but then there's some special features where they were using, uh, they had, uh, attempted, uh, uh, animatronic, uh, like a kind of like a claymation and oh, that stop looks, motion. Yeah. Stop motion. That's what I meant. Stop motion. And that looks horrible. Yeah. So that's where they I cut think- it out except for one little moment in a dissolve. You can see the remnants of it, but otherwise they got rid of it. Yeah, it is not good. So as bad as the animation looks, the stop motion looks even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not that the stop motion looks bad. It just doesn't fit the movie. It looks completely different than the other, uh, you know, scenes you've been watching with the werewolves. And that, yeah. yeah, that's why some stop motion can look fantastic. And some of it just looks so out of place. Yeah. I, that's one of the things I'm glad they didn't do the stop. They didn't include the stop motion with the thing because, like, it didn't fit with all the rest right. of it. It just looked off. And, and there are remnants of it in in the thing, uh, kind of like in the Howling. You know, the brief, like, you know, second shots mm-hmm. of it. But ultimately, they got. Rid- and just to clarify, you're and because I am a, I nearly died when I heard you say it. You're you're not saying that Rob Bottin's special effects works are bad, right? I said Rick no, Baker, no, no, no. right? Rob Fuck Bottin yes, I mean Rob Bottin. Okay, okay. I I wasn't sh- I wasn't sure who Rick Baker was exactly, and I <laughs> so. did London and uh, yeah. Oh, okay. He started on Howling, but then went to do London. I meant Rick yes. Bottin. That's yeah. right. I did read that. Uh, yeah. No, his special feed, his special like his practical effects look fantastic. Yeah. It's all the non-botine stuff that yeah. looks pretty. Yeah. Just not the same quality of work, you know. Right. Again, it's, it's a different bo- type of special effect. It just to me it doesn't jive well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, Rob Bottin is actually he did the um his the next film he would go on to do would be the thing, which I mean, uh, the, the guy is about as good as you can possibly be in his at his craft. So I mean, uh, absolutely one of my favorites. They actually, but. the the uh, stop motion effects for the thing, I don't think it was him. I think it was actually um like another effects house because the stop motion they actually like filmed like a plate for the thing um with the scene and then they were going to edit in the stop motion later oh yeah yeah differently stop motion was uh it was david allen he's got actual an interview in the special feature so david allen did a stop motion uh botin had nothing to do with that but what's crazy as well i think botin was like only 20 years old when he made this movie i know he's young super fucking young yeah and again, going back to special features, there's a, there's a feature with interviews from back then. Mm-hmm. The dude looked like a werewolf. 
Oh, yeah, I know. He looked like he, he can just go up on screen. Right. No makeup needed. And like, yeah, that dude's a werewolf. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I know. It was awesome. Yeah, it is. Um, So the the howling soundtrack um and this was actually one that was i think it recently released or is about to be released by i think it was actually already released by um uh waxwork records mm-hmm. they released the howling soundtrack and uh frankly i didn't really notice it up until the spot where carrie um realizes that the painting she's holding in her hand is actually of the spot that she's standing or I said Carrie, I meant Terry. I yep. messed up her name until the very end. I just oh, changed that one. Um, but yeah, where she's standing and she realizes that the music. So there's this organ music playing, and I was like, "Damn, I really like that." And then I was watching some of the special features, and I guess the the I forget who I forget his name, and I'm such an asshole because I don't remember who did the special the score music. Uh, uh let me see real quick because I feel like an ass. Uh, Pino Donaggio. Um. I guess he just recently came into using organ music a lot. And so he does it heavily throughout this film. Um, but I think it fits really well. It, it creates a really good, uh, just kind of mood Ambient. with it. But yeah. yeah amb- exactly. It feels like a universal picture, you know, like an old, yeah. an old, uh, you know, Wolfman film. Right. Yep. But obviously, I mean, they use that specific film in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they yeah. use that film to comment on, what this the current situation i mean it's really well done i really like that about it the um another another really good moment uh is the kind of the terry stalking scene is what i called it um and then at the conclusion when the werewolf hand turns back into the human hand i thought those effects looked great yeah that scene was recorded in reverse obviously Mm -hmm. uh but uh, yeah it's it's so cool and like to me that still holds up oh yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent some CGI from 20 years ago does not hold up. This right. holds up. Yep. It's still cool. Yeah. And the, I guess we can talk, since we're talking about the special effect, I'll talk about the, the full werewolf transformation with Eddie that happens oh. later on was, I mean, again, my werewolf film knowledge is, is, is admittedly limited, but what I've seen, I mean, this is just takes the cake for me as the best transformation I've no, seen. No, no, no. It's fantastic. No, it's good. But it's, it's better than American Werewolf American in London. Werewolf. No way. No way. American London Absolutely. Is, is London is much better. No, I disagree. But London was done in one shot. Like, it, there's no cuts. Yeah. This is cut to shit. But no, I, I have to respectfully disagree with you on this one. Again, it's your opinion. You have the uh, right to it. Just you're incorrect. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It's your opinion. You have a right to it. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Lon- London is pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> um. I do. Think, I'm. I'm have I do, it on in the background again because I'm watching it. No, uh, okay. I do think the bipedal werewolf is a much more interesting design than yes. the werewolf that we get in American Werewolf in London. But the transformation is much better in American Werewolf. Yes, I, I, so you're one. I I disagree. Like I'm watching it right now, and there's cuts. There's just like in what we watched with um, Howling. It's not just one take, or not one take, not just one shot. But it's fluid. That the the thing with American Werewolf in London one is it's fluid. It feels cohesive. The Howling one, while it's great, is kind of choppy to me. Oh man, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm watching this one now. I, really, I still think the Howling just does a better job with it. And they're both and get, good, though. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I have to, I have to agree with Ash on this one. I think uh, yeah. London takes the cake. But that said, though, I prefer my werewolves by Peter. Absolutely, I loved having them that way. The, um, there was just a, uh, I, I kick myself for not getting this back when it came out. There was a, a diorama model that they had come out with of this scene with the girl standing there and the beds and the werewolf and everything. And it looked fucking awesome. And I really wish I'd saved up some money and bought it at the time when it came hmm. out. because It looked fantastic. Um, but yeah, the, I love this scene. The scene just, ah, uh, yeah. Great scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, I liked with the transformation, kind of like the, the air, pockets that they use to you know show the the face moving and everything um he talks about their condoms on yeah, his face <laughs> um but yeah just just in impressive to say the least especially on their on their million dollar budget any idea offhand what the but if the american werewolf in london had a larger budget uh yeah i, I think it was more than the mill um <laughs> oh 10 million yeah significantly no. more so yeah interesting hey, um for a one million dollar film oh the yeah it looks amazing right definitely yeah. um what else so and, and i think what's what's the most amazing about it is like you were saying is that on this budget it still holds up today <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm watching this one for the first time what almost 30 years later where what uh, 20 uh, so years later? 35 uh, 35 years later yeah math is hard um that many years <laughs> later um and i i'm impressed i wrote it down here see i should have just gone to my notes god damn me for looking like an idiot no you're riffing it's good <laughs> but yeah i mean i i was <laughs> shocked how good everything looked in this movie I, I mean obviously aside from that like the animation bit but yeah um and and i love the not only the way, like the effects of the transformation, but how Eddie handled it, how the actor played it, um, especially leading up to the transformation. Uh, he's just so creepy. And the makeup, even before he turns, looks so good. And uh, he's, you know, I want to give you a piece of my mind, which was an ad-libbed line that mm-hmm. they kept in there um, and works really well when he pulls the bullet out, which just looks disgusting. And <laughs> it's so well done. Uh, love that. Love that. I can't, can't praise it enough i guess but and um, not just that but the makeup he had after the yeah. acid attack holy oh, shit yeah. was that gruesome you yeah, saw a skull and you know uh, he looks like he's blind in one eye like mm-hmm. as cool as the werewolf makeup was i thought his post attack makeup looked even cooler especially in the shadows so he couldn't really see everything um yeah that was gruesome yeah absolutely I'm trying to remember. I wrote this down, but I frankly don't remember. I, I said, God damn, Carrie's boyfriend and Eddie's interaction is fucking awesome. I love it. So unsettling. But I don't remember what I was talking about. I guess their attack, because, you know, he, he does a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a monologue before he, or, you know, before he turns. Yeah, that has to be what I was. And the fact that he's playing Ken and Mouse of it, because, you know, she goes to his house or his cabin. Right. And then he terrorizes her there, then heads back to the doctor's office and then kills her there. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked her. I was very sad when she passed away. Right. No, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, 
I thought it was a little too easy at the at the end um, when like Chris and, and Karen were able to get the majority of the werewolves in the barn and then lighting the barn up. I thought that part was a little bit easy. I, I, I like that um, the werewolves kind of made a last stand at the end. Um, but leading up to it, I was just like, oh man, this is, this is ending too just easily, I guess. I don't know. I was a little disappointed with that, but well, y- you would think that the werewolves would be able to break down a barn door that's only being held by a rifle. And that's what gets me. Yeah. Why is they so, why do they have so much problem with wooden doors? Cause you see that earlier when the werewolves trying to get, I think it was in the Quist's cabin, you see the werewolf like pounding on the wooden door, like trying to get out of it. I'm like, it's just a wooden door. Like, why is that something yeah. that's stopping them so easily? But, um, and I was, I was surprised to see Karen get, get bitten at the end. I mean, I really like that because it, it doesn't feel like, uh, it, it feels like an ending that you wouldn't get nowadays. Um, you know, she would survive now where is there. She's, she doesn't. And I really like that. Um, and then just kind of that on air transformation. I really liked that idea. At least I mean, they ran on, they ran on a money. And so I feel like the execution of it was a little disappointing. Um, but, uh, still a, a, a very good idea to go with. And just the fact that she's the cute werewolf at the end. Yeah. Know? But then, it, right. you know, you, so you see the cuteness of, oh, look, she's like a puppy. I want to keep her. Yeah. And then she gets killed on screen. Yeah. And the, and then you don't have the the viewers, you know, think it's fake. The other half think mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's possible. It's it, They, they kind of, I would like to have seen a little more after that scene. But it yeah. does end perfectly. But I wanted more. I wanted more like what happens next, you know. Right. And it shows that Marsha's still alive, which could set up for the sequel. But I know the sequel's Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. But I have no idea who's in it or what it's about, frankly. I just know it exists. It's not really – it's a sequel, but it's not really a sequel. Oh, okay. In Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, it's Reb Brown, who's his sister, and he wants to know what happened to her, blah, blah, blah. So Mm. you're not really getting more of the characters it really goes off to a different a different direction alter completely. But right. Christopher Lee is in it. Sybil Dining is in it. So awesome nudity. That's and what I a, that's what I heard. Yeah, when they were talking on the commentary track. It's got a kick cast soundtrack too. There's that you know they they all have a song that's got like you know the title of the movie in it. This one's really good. It's some like new wave goth or I guess dark wave. Ah, I like mm. it a lot. That's the thing that I know the most <laughs> about the about the film is like oh yeah, the song's pretty badass. That's funny. Yeah, th- I can't believe that there are seven sequels. This is an eight-film series, including The Howling Reborn. That's just nuts to me, and I haven't really? seen any of them except really? for this one now. Really do not need to watch the rest of the fucking Howling series. I've heard the third one is actually pretty decent because it's kind of like weird. It goes like the marsupial werewolf thing. I don't know. It's like in Australia or something. Yeah, but their budget keeps getting lower. Yeah. Like, or they're not getting as much out of it. And at one point in one of the one of the sequels, I ended up watching and I I was mind numb halfway through it because there was like nothing going on. They were actually like using like uh, not actors, but people from the fucking town because they didn't have any money. <laughs> And they're not acting. They're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a series of grunts throughout for like 20 minutes of the movie. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, skip it. <laughs> yeah. Although I ha- honestly, I haven't seen Howling 2. I, I, ha- I have honestly not seen that one. But I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen, is 4 the one in the, uh, no, I haven't seen 4. 
I have seen five. Um, six. Uh, no, but I did see like seven. Hmm. So, well, as apparently four, go ahead. Apparently, uh, four, which is called the New Beginning, is more based on the book. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, so apparently, like you know, they 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 licensed the book. They pretty much just used the title of the yep. book for the and film. The modern yeah. day or modern setting for the werewolf idea. How, how was the author's commentary? Was it interesting at least? Um, I'm going to talk about that in one sec. Let's uh, oh, sure. okay. wrap up our thoughts on the, this one, and then we'll talk about more of the special features of everything there and the audio, video quality, things like that. Um, Ash, so what's your final thoughts on your star rating for The Howling? Um, Howling's one of my favorite werewolf movies. Um, I, I It's one of my top two. Um, absolutely love it. I I, uh, I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, need to start making this one of my uh, one of my regulars. Um, but uh, I love the movie. Love the story. Love the acting. Um, most of the effects work is pretty good. There's a couple of shady spots, but overall, I like it. Um, still not a better werewolf transformation than American Werewolf in London, but uh, mm. you know we won't uh, knock it. <laughs> I actually give this one a four out of four. Awesome. And what about you, Mark? Um, I like it a lot. Uh, it's it, to me, it's it's a '80s classic. Um, it is my favorite werewolf film. Um, but it, it's high up there. Uh, I I easily give that a three out of four. What What is your favorite werewolf film? American Werewolf. In oh, the, okay. by far. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um. Yeah, so for me, uh, The Howling, it's set up a lot differently than anticipated or have seen in the past. Um, it starts off giving this feeling that you're watching a serial killer movie or a slasher film, um, which isn't entirely incorrect, uh, but definitely not something I'm used to seeing when it comes to a film like this. Um, but that is definitely the film's strong point. Uh, I didn't see the end coming at all, and I love that it, it doesn't candy coat anything towards the end of the film, giving us uh, a conclusion that you wouldn't normally see today. The special effects are really strong and, like I said, hold up now 36 years after its original release for someone watching it for the first time. Um, Dee Wallace is instantly likable, just like she always is, and does a fantastic job here. Uh, it's just a really well-put-together film that has some seriously unsettling moments and awesome special effects. So I'm giving The Howling 3.5 out of 4 stars, and I would put this one above American Werewolf in Paris. Uh, London. I would me. as well. <laughs> yeah. Totally, you're right. <laughs> exactly. I've not seen Paris. I've only seen London, but I, I I do like this one better than than American Werewolf. So, obviously, because we are doing the Scream Factory, we are we are looking specifically at the the disc that was released by Scream Factory. Um, so again, this was a collector's edition released back in 2013. Uh, just to, so we're clear, Ash, you were not you do not have access to the Scream Factory edition, correct? Correct. Okay, so these were just uh, Mark and I on this one. Uh, so, um, in terms of audio video quality, I am not really good at talking about that. Like, uh, I'm not an audiophile by any stretch. I can't give you any technical terms in terms of how the picture looked. All I can say is, from my viewpoint, I was watching it on my projecting my projector screen, so 120 inch screen, and it looked it looked really good. Um, there were it was surprisingly crisp in a lot of moments. There were some points where it felt like there was kind of like a fog over it. Um, and not, not a fog in terms of the, the shot itself. Like it was intentional, but there were just kind of some points where it looked like the restoration wasn't quite as, 
uh, they weren't able to get it as crystal clear as, as the rest of the film. But that was not a ton of different spots. So I noticed that um, in terms of the audio quality, I had uh, there's nothing I can really say about it that uh, it stood out to me as as negative. Um, it I was able to hear everything just fine. Everything was balanced well. Um, it, Mark, did you have any uh, kind of any better take on the audio or video quality of the disc at all or anything that you noticed that you wanted to talk about? Not really. Yeah. Um, Audio-wise, right now, because of my condo and the situation with my uh, placement of my speakers, yeah. I'm only pumping out 2.0. I mean, oh, okay. 5.1. Gotcha. So uh, I really can't come into much on that. It, it sounded good and it looked good. You know, there was no grain to the picture that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for a film that's 30 plus years old on Blu-ray, it looks fantastic. So it's yeah. really well restored. Um, so I have no complaints audio or visual wise, but I don't have a rig that I can give a proper uh, a proper review on. Yeah, I just don't have the knowledge, I guess, to give a proper review on it. Yeah. Um, but just for reference point, the it has a DTS HD Master Audio 5.1, and it is a 1080p high definition widescreen 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio, just for those that are interested. Um, so you're talking about the commentary tracks. Um, yes. There was two on this one. Um, Mark, you listened to the one with the actors, and I listened to the one with the from the author. So... Um, this one was interesting. Um, okay, so let's. Let, I guess I'll just talk about this. What I have written down here. So um, this this one is just two people. Uh, Gary Brandner, the the author of the original novel where this was picked up from, um, and he actually wrote the script for the second one. Um, and he's written a ton of novels, um, mostly in the horror and sci fi genre, because he got pigeonholed into that after he wrote The Howling. Um, and so that's where he kind of stayed the rest of his uh, career. And then he actually passed away in 2013. So I'm not sure when this commentary track was, uh, when it was first released, but obviously it had to be before 2013 where he passed. Um, the moderator is someone from the film industry, but frankly, he only said his name once at the beginning and I forgot it and it's not written down on any of the stuff I have in front of me or in the, uh, like on the disc itself when you put it mm-hmm. into player. Um, so I, f- I forget who it is, but, uh, basically the moder- moderator is asking a bunch of questions for him. Um, and, and Bradner's doing his best job to answer what he can remember. Um, there isn't really any mention of the film playing in the background until the nudity and then they mention that and then it, they don't really mention it again so it really plays more like a like you're listening to a podcast than a commentary yeah um my favorite commentary tracks are when the people talking are comment excuse me are commenting on what we're seeing on screen giving us more information about the casting the effects uh just kind of the, the behind the scenes stuff that only someone that was there would really know but that's not what this is at all because brander did this um, all he did for this movie was sell the rights to his novel to the production company for $50,000. Uh, he had n- literally nothing to do with the rest of the process at all, according to him. Um, he did write the screenplay for the sequel, like I mentioned, and the novel it was based on, but that's really he, all he had to do with the series. Um, he does, he does mention that he gets a residual check every once in a while when those sequels come out, but that's about it. Um, but it, it was still relatively interesting because um, Brandner has some funny stories to tell. I laughed out loud once or twice. Um, he talks a good amount about his work on The Howling 2, uh, more so than he, they talk about this one, uh, which is pretty fun to listen to because he had a lot uh, a lot more to do with the sequel because he wrote the script. Um, and he mentions that he doesn't really like the finished product for The Howling 2 at all. Or I don't know if he says it outright or if he just hints at it, but definitely mentions that. Um, so how was your commentary track? 
Um, it was fine. Um, like I mentioned before, so it was uh, Joe Dante, it was uh, D. Wallace, Stone, uh, Christopher Stone, and Robert Picardo. And uh, they were having a blast uh, reminiscing about the film. Uh, you would have liked this commentary uh, just because uh, Dante does go into detail about uh, production, yeah. um, location shots, you know, what he could do with the money, and then just <laughs> stories about the actual, like, you know, the actors. Um, so n- nothing too mind-blowing, just your average commentary track, but it was entertaining. They seemed to be happy to be in a room together. Um and they were laughing at each other's jokes, you know, like when Quist yeah. showed up. The, what I remember the most is just the scene where, with Quist and uh, D in the porn, uh, I guess, in the video booth. Uh-huh. <laughs> just how creepy Picardo's lips were. <laughs> 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 you know, because of the shot so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it was interesting. N- nothing mind-blowing when it comes to, to stories. Yeah, but uh, just general, you know, like location information, shots. Talked about the special effects, what worked, what didn't work. Yeah. So informative, but nothing mind blowing. But right. it was just a fun listen. Good, yeah. And we we kind of split up the rest of the special features. Um, I think I watched most of them. Um, okay, but uh, like the the two new the two new ones are the ones I watched. Um, so there's obviously the auto commentary. There's unleashing the beast, the making of the howling multi-part documentary. There's deleted scenes and outtakes. There's a making of a monster inside the howling documentary. Um, horrors yeah. hollowed grounds. A look at the film's locations. A photo gallery and theatrical trailer. Um, and I, I watched the majority of them. I can't remember which one I didn't. Um, but the one that was kind of most interesting to me and, and most wa- worth watching, I thought. Um, out of the ones that were kind of quote unquote assigned to me was the making mm-hmm. of. So uh, the making of was like a 49 minute documentary. Um, it's originally yeah. from 2003. Um, and so it was presented in full screen and it's in standard definition. Um, but it was fine. It's all we needed really for it. Um, and I just have like, I don't know, kind of tidbits I picked up from that that I'll talk about a little bit. Um, so writer John Sales uh, says, like we were talking about, that they basically just took the modern day werewolf idea from the novel and then started from scratch with there, which I thought was interesting because Brandner never really mentions that in the commentary track at all. Um, obviously, as someone who hasn't read the book, I just assumed it was kind of a more faithful adaptation than what <laughs> uh, Sales makes it out to be. But I thought Bradner would talk about that, but he didn't. So that was interesting. Hmm. Um, we already talked about Picardo. Um, and I, I love listening to Dee Wallace talk about her acting process. I, like I mentioned, she's just very engaging and very honest, which is just always fun to watch. Um, what else that, that I haven't talked about in here that I picked up from this documentary? I mean, from, yeah, from the documentary. Um, Dick Miller's on there talking about how out of all the at that point he says over 150 roles he's played how his favorite role is still playing um this character in this film the book the book uh, keeper in this film and i love that and that's also when i found out that you know obviously he's in every dante film i just really that's very cool because uh, he does such a great job with it but mm-hmm. oh the other thing that really i thought was shocking so the the porn film that they're watching at the beginning of the film it looks yeah. legit like it's a 70s porn film porno film but they actually filmed that themselves because they had to make sure that the content was okay to keep in their film and so they couldn't just pick up a porn film and stick it on they filmed it themselves on film and then like 
you know, did what they needed to do to it to make it look like it had gone through a porno booth like a hundred times, you know, a thousand times. Yeah, and it was so, filmed in his garage. Say that again. Yes, yes. Wait, say I, I think I missed what you said. Oh, just that it was filmed in uh, Joe Dante's garage. Okay, yes, exactly. And there's actually they actually filmed two of them, but they, we only see the one, um, which it's not. It's not a very uh, what's um, like. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's not sexy. It, it, exactly. It's, it's it doesn't very, reveal that. Very, All you see is boobs, but it's very like uh, finished, violent. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, just gross the way it's handled because I mean it feels like a rape scene that you're watching. She's tied to the bed. There's these like men around her like gang raping her. Like uh, so yeah, I was surprised to find that that wasn't just a, a film that they found, but in fact one that they made. Yeah, very um, violent, very um, underground. Yeah, you know, kind of almost like eight millimeter ish. You know, mm-hmm. like it almost looks right. snuffy. You know. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Not not a sexy film in any way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wrote down so much in this, but I've already talked about most of it. Um, I'm just trying to see if there's anything else. Um, I know, I know, I really enjoyed the making of feature. I thought it was definitely worth my 50 minutes, especially as someone that I that liked the movie. And I think fans of the movie will definitely want to check it out. Um, it's not new to this disc, but if you don't have it any other way, I mean, it's a wonderful addition for this release. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really better than the other two documentaries I watched on the disc because it covers basically what they covered and more. Um, And so I really liked it. I mean, what I love about these is that I watch this and it's just like, I want to do this. Like, I want to make this. I want to make a movie. I want to direct or uh, act in, which is obviously my background, uh, uh, these types of films. Like, I want to do this. And it just make it just rekindles that passion and that desire to do this because I just see what they're doing and it just realized like, yes, that's, this is how I want to spend my days, you know, not opening checking accounts for people. That's not what I love, you know? And so mm-hmm. it just rekindles that excitement that I have when I watch a good making of. Um, and that's what this one did. So I really, really recommend the making of feature. Yeah, um, it looked like a really fun special feature to watch. That's yeah. one I did not uh, watch. So. That's, it's long and you had other things you had to watch. So I understand. Um, how were – so So I actually – I watched the the horrors, the hollowed ground feature as well uh, oh. because – I read the Horror Hound magazine, and that's where that comes from. That stems from. Um, oh, really? Yeah, the author of that. You you clearly didn't like that. I did not like it at all. I thought it was pointless. Oh, look, this is where they showed that thing 30 years ago. Oh, look, if you check, you can still see so-and-so's initials. I honestly did not care. As a special feature, this was beyond fluff. I thought the host was annoying. I just couldn't give a shit. Hmm. And like, oh, wow, the park still looks the same 30 years later. Yeah, it's trees. Big fucking deal, you know? Or or like, oh, this is the corner where the phone booth was, but now there's no more phone booth. So here's just an intersection. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give don't, a shit. So. That's it. I mean, uh, that's fair. I can definitely see that. I'm actually on the other side. I liked it. Uh, I, I thought it's interesting to see the locations now versus then. Um, and I feel like it would be even cooler for someone – if there, it was something that was filmed in your hometown or something that you're familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably where it shines the most. If you happen to be someone who lives in, you know, California and the Los Angeles area, um, visiting these spots, I think it would be interesting. Um, and I, I liked them when I, when I read them in the Horror Hound magazine. So it was cool to kind of put this, 
um, just on film versus reading it in the magazine. Um, and I actually, I like, I didn't mind the host at all. I thought he was fine. Um, but so I, I'd like that one obviously a lot more than you did. Um, yeah. and it's a feature that I don't know if they still do it, but I know they did it in a lot on their earlier releases. And I don't, like I said, I'm not sure if they continued it, um, uh, up to like their current releases or what, but yeah, um, for this one, I just didn't like the host. And honestly, it's like, you know, street corners and the woods. Yeah. I, it's like, it wasn't like, it wasn't locations that were really that like spectacular to begin with, you know? Like, oh, the cove still looks like the cove. Mm, yeah, yeah, it still I'm does. Sh- you know? I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it's a more interesting feature on certain films than others, but yeah. yeah. I, I would assume so. So I watched uh, that one. Yeah. And then, uh, like I mentioned, uh, I watched the Making the Monster Inside the Howling. That's eight minutes and one second long. Had some uh, old school interviews with uh, Peter McNee, with uh, Joe Dante, and with uh, Rick Botton. Um, things I pulled from there, uh, Patrick McNee uh, doesn't like horror movies just because of his time, uh, you know, in the, in the wars and what he saw in mm-hmm. real life. That He just doesn't like it, but for some reason he liked the script in this one. <laughs> Um, and then again, uh, Rick Botton was only 21 when he shot this one. Amazing. Which is incredible. <laughs> really um, is. The, the rest was just kind of like regular fluff, um, you know, promo interviews. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. Um, I also watched the interview with stop motion animator David Allen. That's eight minutes and 48 seconds long. Um, my notes on this one, uh, one, uh, first note, <laughs> boring as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, he keeps, well, he kept talking about the, you know, how he did the special, uh, the stop motion animation and he seemed very bitter that it got cut from the film because I guess he wasn't <laughs> oh, told until the end. So oh. he just seemed like a bitter interview. He yeah. never looked, so the camera is at a 45 degree angle of him. So he never looks at the camera. He looks away from the camera. Just staring straight ahead, but at 45 degrees from the camera. Yeah. Um, I think he might make eye contact once or twice, but apart from that, there's he's just like talking to nobody there. Is this a so, new one or an old one that was re-put on this disc? I would say this was probably old. I okay. don't think this uh, this was not an original. Um, this is this is old. Yeah. Um, it, it looked old. And he seemed very bitter. And it kind of just ends in a bitter way. So I was very surprised uh, it was actually added on. Um, and then I read, I watched the interview with co-writer Terrence uh, Winkless. Okay. That's 12 minutes and 32 seconds. Um, what I got from this, this is his first, uh, I guess, script that was uh, produced. Prior to that, he was just writing for the studios. Um, and that, you know, it's here where I heard that uh, they never use anything from the book, just the name of the book. Mm. And that uh, he was happy to be involved and it was a cool movie. Yeah, you know uh, that's that's pretty much it. And then uh, then uh, the next page we had deleted scenes and the uh, outtakes. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, the deleted scenes. I mean, there was nothing special there at all. Um, I feel it's all stuff that rightfully got cut out. Um, I felt like it added maybe a little bit more to my con- my problem of why she thought Bill was cheating on her. Um, not yeah. a ton, but a little bit. Um, and then the commentary, cause they have the deleted scenes and then they have the commentary of the deleted scenes. Um, and again, that didn't add too much for it either. Uh, just Dante talking about why the scenes got cut. Um, okay. I did like seeing the extra stop motion werewolf though, which also proves why it was a good idea to cut them, but Oof, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the trailer. Yeah. 
I just I was gonna say that one really plays on what they were saying about the marketing, uh, where they marketed it more like a slasher than a werewolf film. It definitely feel felt like a slasher trailer. Um, and they give away the end of the movie in the trailer, which I don't understand why they would do that, but they did. Yeah, I I didn't watch the trailer or I didn't look at the uh, um, the um, stills, um, but I, yeah, I did yeah. watch the special features. Or, I mean, the deleted scenes. I also like the outtakes. Yeah, I, I saw the outtakes thing, too. Yeah, if there's one thing I enjoy is a good outtake. Right. So, uh, yeah, I thought they were funny. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing crazy for 1981, but uh, still right, enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. So, the big question is with, with these reviews here. So, this disc right now is running on Amazon for $19.82. Obviously, that's Amazon US, yes. uh, Amazon.com. So, Mark, is yes. this disc from Scream Factory worth purchasing? Yes or no? Yes, um, I double dipped. Again, I had the original MGM DVD. Um, I believe this is the only version on Blu-ray. I could be wrong, um, but it is a leap and a uh, jump better than what I had before. Uh, the picture, again, I think it's a 2K scan, if I uh, recall correctly. Um, you know, you've got your 5.1 DTS master audio. It's in 1080p. In widescreen, um, it is a total upgrade of what was previously available out there for us cinephiles. So I would highly recommend this. Yep, and I would agree with you. I definitely say this disc is worth buying. Uh, you pretty much covered everything uh, that I would agree with. Uh, it's just a good movie, and they did a great job with the transfer and the special features. Um, most of them are available elsewhere, but it's nice to have them all on one release. Uh, yeah. So I would definitely say this is worth the worth your worth your time, worth your money. So. That is our first review in our Scream Factory arc. That is The Howling, which obviously was a Scream Factory collector's edition from 2013. Right now on Amazon for just under 20 bucks on Amazon.com. We uh, Both of us that own the disc think that is worth it. And Ash obviously thinks that the film is worth owning, giving it four out of four stars. So, uh, yeah, excellent. So next week we will move on to our next Scream Factory release. But before we do that, we have a couple more stops. First stop... Yeah. Besting the backlog challenge round 18. So we are going to try to our, this is obviously where we, uh, take a look at each other's unwatched pile, be it their home video collections or one of their streaming services like Netflix, Amazon instant video or voodoo and pick one film. The other hasn't seen yet and challenge them to watch that before the next podcast where they give a quick review. So just to recap on this one. Mark, you were watching Curse of Chucky from 2013, courtesy of mm-hmm. Ash. Ash, you were watching Black Snake Moan from 2007, courtesy of myself. And I was watching, thanks to Mark, 1985's The Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I am... Let's start with you, Ash. What did you think of Black Snake Moan? Um, actually, can you start with Mark real quick? I gotta- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, Mark, what did you think of Curse of Chucky? Um, For a... I won't call it a reboot because uh, it continues... Uh, it, it takes from previous films. Um, I thought it was great for a direct-to-video um, Chucky film. Um, it was actually not bad. Uh, I found that the Chucky doll looked really weird. In the beginning, um, you'll find out why later on in the film. I don't want to divulge just because it's still a, uh, it's it's a few years old, but you know it's still newer to maybe some people who weren't aware that there was a 
a sequel. Um, but what I did dig is that the uh, our heroine in the film, her name is, go back here. Her name is Nika, played by Fiona Dourif, and she is Brad Dourif's daughter. Um, so I'm not sure if... Oh, okay. Yes, I'm not sure if her getting the job was because of that or not, but I thought she was fantastic. Um, so she plays Nika, lives with her mom, who's a little mental health. She's got some mental health issues due to a previous trauma. Um, she's also uh, confined to a wheelchair. She doesn't have the use of her legs. And her mom passes away after receiving a good guy doll in the mail. We don't know from who. Um Mom dies, then the rest of the family comes to the house because, you know, Nika is now by herself. She's in a wheelchair. You know, we want to help you type of thing. And then one by one, they, uh, they get dispatched in a quite bloody fashion. I watched the unrated version. There's two versions, the R-rated and the unrated. So <laughs> I went unrated. Um, Always the I better had, option. Yeah, I had fun with it. I thought it was a bit slow at first. And Chucky doesn't even talk till about halfway through the film. I think I clocked it at 44 minutes, and that's out of a 97-minute running time. Yeah. Which is the longest Chucky film in the series so far. <laughs> but it's actually it's actually quite worth it. Now, they're filming, uh, actually, as of last month, a sequel to this film. Uh, once it does get released, it's, I think, straight to VOD and, uh, and home video. It's not going to get a theatrical release. I am going to pick it up as soon as it comes out because yeah. uh, I liked it enough to want to see the, the characters continue, those that survive. Um, and your girl's in it. No, that's Ash's girl, I think. Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly? Yeah. Is she in it? Or was yeah. that a spoiler alert? I don't know. Oh. Um, yeah, she does have a cameo. Um, I think she has a bigger part in the next film. Actually, you know what? It's not a spoiler because it's she's a, a thumbnail on IMDb. So yeah, so she's yeah, in it. Exactly. Um, but um, yeah, I I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. I want to see more of it. I thought everybody was uh, was decent in the film. But as for a Chucky film, I thought he was kind of subdued because it doesn't really come to life till the second half of the movie. Um, so yeah, I uh, if you're able to check it out, I would recommend it. Yeah, I really like that one a lot. Um, We've seen it. Okay. Yep, I have. Uh, that's I. I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. I feel like it's a return to form to the kind of original three after um, a bride and sea kind of took it in a different direction. Um, yeah. But I really, I really enjoyed the hell out of that one. Yeah. Um, yeah so I will um, talk about the stuff next. So. First, I want I got to tell a story though. So okay. I bought a um, so my the I have now I have two PlayStation threes. Um, the first one I owned about I don't know maybe a month or so after it was released. I bought it when I worked at GameStop. I bought it used from GameStop. It was in really good condition and it was still it's a backwards compatible PS3. So it's the fat one. Very hard to come by nowadays, obviously. Um, well, that yeah. stopped reading Blu-rays. Whether it stopped reading Blu-ray discs, uh, so movies and games of, of Blu-ray format. Uh, it works on PS2 games still, and it works on DVDs. Um, but 
I wanted to play PS3 games again, so I ended up buying another PS3. Um, this was probably a little bit before, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before. And so okay. I bought it off Amazon used. I was only like 100 bucks or something like that. It was pretty cheap. Um, and so I bought that and a bunch of games and blah, blah, blah. So I've had problems with it ever since I got it. Uh, when I first got it, it was I can't remember what size it was supposed to be, but the hard drive was supposed to be x and it ended up ended up being smaller y um okay you know what i mean uh i don't remember yeah. what it was supposed to be and so i contacted the seller and basically they refunded me the amount of money that it would cost for me to buy a, an internal internal hard drive to install into it okay. and so that worked out you know i got the bigger hard drive and whatever um and paid less and so um then my games would play just fine on it. Every once in a while, I would try to put a Blu-ray in it, and every once in a while, it would work, but ev- sometimes it would pop up and say, this isn't the right region. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, what's what's that really? about? Okay. Yeah. And so then I was thinking to myself, you know what? I wonder. And so I own the Arrow video release of the stuff, okay. um, and it's a region two only. So some Arrow video will be um, region free or all, all three regions. Some will just be region two. This one happens to be only region two. So- I had to watch it on my region free Blu-ray player, um, but my wife was using that television, and so I was like, "Well, you know what? Let me th- let me go see if my because I th- no I think about it. I think when I got it, I was also searching the serial number and saw that it came up as a European PS3, but I, okay. I wasn't sure, and so I was like, "Let me check." And so I took it downstairs, my region two only Aero release of the stuff. And put it in the Blu-ray player I and mean, put it in the PS3 and sure enough, it works. So clearly I got sold a European PlayStation 3. So I now have two uh, – I have a region-free Blu-ray player and a PS3 that plays region 2 stuff. So I think that's okay. interesting. But yeah, so I was very surprised that it actually worked in my PlayStation 3. So anyway, that was just a long story to, to talk about my, my weird PS3 that I've had problems with ever since I've had it. And just weird to me. But um, the reason I ended up buying this one was because um, it was on sale and uh, Arrow had a sale last year, some yeah, about last year. Um, and so I ended up grabbing it. Um, the stuff, it's about a um, like a dessert that's being sold to the American public. It's uh, mind-altering, and it, it appears to be alive. Um, as the town pe- townspeople eat it, it kind of takes control of them. Um, and it's up to a young kid, a southern business saboteur. He literally goes in to destroy businesses. And a beautiful marketing director to save the world from the stuff. So I really liked what I was watching for about 20 minutes or so. It had an interesting uh, setup. And okay. then Mr. Chocolate Chip Charlie was introduced and <laughs> the film, it just – from that moment on, it felt like a different movie. Um, the dialogue turned awkward. The editing and the pacing felt off and the story just stopped making a lot of sense at, at, at that exact moment. Um, literally, the second he jumps into the picture because he jumps in trying to fight out of nowhere and it's just like, what, why? What is happening? Um and the, the acting even started turning south a little bit there because um, the little boy becomes more of a feature role and I thought he was just terrible. Um, I like the two main adult leads well enough, uh, but mm-hmm. they're more caricatures than any realistic character, which can work fine. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it also had the thing that everybody knows how much I hate, uh, the 
love plot being tossed in there for no discernible reason. And it just never worked for me. Um, as it goes on, the movie gets weirder and, and it was less likable, uh, which is a shame because I really wanted to like it. And I really liked what I was watching at the beginning. I thought it was shot really well. Um, and the effects with the stuff are really solid, but the story just lost my interest entirely about halfway through and it never caught it again. Um, I will say this arrow release is fantastic. It looks so good. It looks like a, a giant budget studio film from the seventies. Like it looks really good. I know this is an eighties release, but, um, it it just it looks really good, but unfortunately, I just didn't enjoy it as much as I was hoping I would. So it did start to get a bit funnier with the introduction of the military characters toward the end, yeah. but it it wasn't enough to to win me over. So I'm I'm giving it two out of four stars. I didn't hate it. I would watch it again to give it another shot. Um, and I'm interested in watching the special features with it, but I haven't done that yet. So I'll give it two out of four stars. What did you give Curse of Chucky? I think I missed what you said. How many stars? Oh, you know, I don't think I gave it any stars. Uh, I'll give it two and a half. Okay. Fair enough. Excellent. All right, Ash, are you are you ready to talk about Black Snake Moan? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Uh, Go for it. Okay. So my wife and I had actually passed this movie up before she reminded me when I went to go watch it. And I was like, oh, yeah, we did. Because it just, it didn't, like, the description didn't fit, even though Christina Ricci is in it and Sam Jackson, and I love both of them. Yeah. Um, but, uh. So anyway, the uh, the Netflix description, and I didn't read this. I think this got added when I was on a Christina Ricci kick, which is why I think oh, okay. on my list. Um, uh, and they did, there wasn't a lot of movies out there for Christina Ricci. So, um, but anyway, um, Lazarus, who's um, played by Sam Jackson, finds Ray, uh, Christina Ricci, beaten and near death and acts as a father figure to help redeem her. But before saving anyone, Lazarus must face his own demons. Um, it's, uh, it's an addiction movie cloaked with a very different kind of addiction and a guy trying to deal with his, uh, his, uh, divorce and, you know, it's, it's interesting in that regard. Um, Christina Ricci is pretty good in it. Uh, I thought Sam Jackson did awesome. Uh, yeah. he was fantastic in this. It surprised me. I didn't realize Justin Timberlake was in it. He was okay. <laughs> uh, he's not in it much, so if you don't oh, like Justin Timberlake, yeah. Uh, so if you don't like Justin Timberlake, you know it's it's all right. You know, don't worry, mm -hmm. he's not in it long. Uh, <laughs> um, I do love him, though. I love him. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know it's. It, I thought it was interesting. My wife thought it sucked. Uh, so. You know, it. Was yeah, she thought it was boring. She thought the performances were great, but the film was boring, and mm -hmm. it does feel a little overlong at points. Um, and the movie is almost two hours, two full hours. Right. Probably do it. They could probably have done this at an hour and and a half. You know, cut twenty five minutes out of it, and I think it'd probably move a little faster. Um, but it, it, the pacing was a little slow. Um, but uh, other than that, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so I give it two and a half. My wife would probably give it like a one. <laughs> Did she get naked in it? Yes. Yes. That tattoo. Oh, be still my beating heart. Oh my God. I love it. It's naked in it, but it's not sexy naked. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those, it's like, you know, one of them is a desperate to get laid, but it's not sexy. It's like, you know, I'm going to grudge fuck you type of thing. And the other one was she's just completely wasted and rolling around on the ground and it's accidental. So it's just like, okay, I mean, great. 
but eh, you know. Well, I'll disagree because I thought she was sexy as fuck. But <laughs> that tattoo on her chest is amazing. I love tattoos. Um, and frankly, outside of kind of those scenes, I can't really remember much about this movie. All I can remember <laughs> is that cross tattoo on her chest, which is awesome. Um, and I remember uh, liking it, but I do remember getting bored with it and just wishing she would show the tattoo again. But <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh man, I'm not a good person. Um, I know you do get to see Sam Jackson playing guitar. I don't know that he actually played guitar. I didn't bother looking it up, but uh, yeah, I'm sure it is him actually singing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was interesting. It wasn't, it was a really good awesome. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that uh, that you liked it well enough. So awesome. So for this week, we are back to picking for ourselves, and I'm going to throw this challenge out here, Mark. This is specifically for you because I know um, Ash. Um, the, the two screen fact releases that you now have are ones that we are going to be talking about later. Um, and so Mark, if you have another screen factory release that you have not watched, that's not in the poll and is not part of our, our named arc so far, I challenge you to find one from that list to watch for next week's best in the backlog challenge. Hmm. So with that in mind, because I, I am going to commit to my challenge as well, I have decided that I need to finally watch from 1989 Robot Jocks, <laughs> okay, which is a favorite of the uh, the BMF cast, the Bad Movie Fiends cast, which is another I podcast I listen movie. to. So. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm excited to watch it for the first time made for video on a low budget and i the best part about that movie is the model work but <laughs> awesome so i'm excited so that's what i'm gonna watch ash what are you gonna watch for next week i think i'm gonna go with just based off titles um dark space from 2013 because i'm just looking at the list i have no idea what it's even about so dark space that sounds familiar but i don't know what it is what year was that one? 2013? Yeah. Excellent. All right, Mark. Okay, what are you going to watch? I have a decision. I am going to watch 1986's Michael Mann's Manhunter. Oh, very good option. I have not seen this one yet, so I will pick this one for next week. Is that the first movie in the Silence of the Lambs trilogy? Or not trilogy, but series? No, it's it's a standalone. It, and I, oh, okay. It takes place. Yeah, it's got Lecter as. Yeah, uh, Brian Cox plays Hannibal, uh, Hannibal Lecter, but uh, it doesn't follow. Uh, I don't think it follows uh, Silence into uh, into Hannibal into Red Dragon. So. No, they, uh, yeah, Red Dragon is actually a technically a remake of um, Man. Oh, yep, I did know that. I just forgot. Yep, you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, Very cool. Yeah, and William Peterson's in it. That was probably the highlight for me was William Peterson. Yeah. So just so you know, Ash, uh, Dark Space currently holds a 3.8 rating out of 847 votes on IMDb. So I'm excited to hear your review of that one next week. Yeah, <laughs> it's 3.8 out of 4? Netflix told me. No, 3.8 out of 10. Yeah, Netflix Ooh. says I'll probably give it like a one and a half. <laughs> so. Excellent. So to recap, Mark is watching 1986 Manhunter. Ash is watching 2013's Dark Space, and I am watching 1989's Robot Jocks for next week's Besting the Backlog Challenge. Fantastic. So before we sign off for the evening, 
We have one more thing to talk about, and that is our Oscars challenge results, which I'm excited to talk about. So... When it, we'll talk about um, the the listener and uh, readers' entries first. So, um, I first off, I think I speak for all of us when I say we were shocked, um, shocked and overwhelmed with the response from you guys. So, thank you to everyone who entered. Thank you for our team, for retweeting our tweets, for uh, sharing our Facebook posts, sharing the Instagram posts, whatever you did. Thank you so much. It was our biggest and best contest to date. So, uh, and we have to thank all of you for that. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, that. That said, Moonlight winning Best Picture after a insanely awkward and weird uh, mistake um, over La La Land made my job of tracking down the winner exceptionally easy. So, of the fifty, and I, and first off, thank you to Mark. Thank you, Mark, for uh, live tweeting through the Oscars. That was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, it was I was. Fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was still on vacation and uh, didn't watch it, but I did read through your tweets afterwards and it was very enjoyable. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, So of the 53 entrants, which blew my mind, our goal for this was 20. Mark said we'd be happy with five. So I mean, 53 (laughs) entrants. So that was awesome. Um, Only three people picked a film other than La La Land to win. And out of those, uh, win best picture, excuse me. And out of those three, only two picked Moonlight. Uh, the other person picked Manchester by the Sea for those keeping score. Unbelievably, that meant out of the, that, that one out of the 53 entrants, only one had a perfect score for this challenge. And so the winner is. None other than our former fo- uh, podcast host and uh, someone who does write for the website still occasionally, Chris Ranson. So congratulations, Chris. Uh, shockingly enough, you did it um, with a perfect score and you were the only one. So you will see a $20 Amazon gift card in your inbox in the coming days if it isn't there already. So congratulations. Chris correctly picked Moonlight as Best Picture winner. Casey Affleck as as Best Actor, Emma Stone as Best Actress, The Jungle Book as Best Visual Effects, La La Land for Best Cinematography and Best Director, and Zootopia as Best Animated Feature. Very fucking impressive, Chris, Um, especially considering that you were the only one person out of 53 total entrants to correctly name all seven winners. So I was certain that we would have a a random winner uh, because of... Uh, I thought for sure La La Land was going to take Best Picture. Um, but because that is not the case, it made everything uh, so much easier for me. Um, but yeah. So thank you, Moonlight, for making my life easy. Um, and again, congrats to Chris for absolutely nailing the 2017 Oscars competition. Um, hopefully we'll be able to do this again next year and make it an even bigger and better contest for 2018. Uh, so thanks to everyone who took the time to enter. We really appreciate you listening and taking the time to do that and helping spread the word for that. So with that said, we also had a contest between the three of us, the three podcast hosts here, uh, where the winner got to decide what film we were watching for the fourth week of this particular arc, the Scream Factory arc. Well, Ash, you got your ass kicked, Ben. I hate to tell you. (laughs) But Mark and I destroyed you. But the problem was, because uh, La La Land didn't win Best Picture, uh, Mark and I ended up tying. So. My suggestion was, well, let's let's look at the seven 
uh, category specifically out of those seven categories. And I don't know if one of us had more of those right than the other. I'm hoping we did because that's what I asked Mark to uh, figure out for us. So Mark, out of those seven categories, don't say who, but did one of us have more answers right out of those seven than the other? I don't know. Oh, okay. I was going to do this live on the podcast. Oh, okay. Perfect. Well, let's figure it out. Yes. Let's so see. we're going to start from uh, from smallest to, to biggest, I guess. Yeah. So uh, visual effects. So best achievement in visual effects. Um, nobody got it right. Okay. Uh, I picked Doctor Strange uh, and you picked Rogue One and surprisingly Jungle Book One. Yeah. So we got zero there. Then next would be directing. Uh, for directing, um, you picked uh, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. I picked uh, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight and Moonlight One. So that's one for me. And my pen stopped working. There we go. <laughs> that's right. I'm so keeping score. Uh, I'll be okay, honest. So Don't worry. All right. So that's one for me. <laughs> uh, cinematography. Uh, let's see here. Cinematography. If, there we go. Uh, best achievement in cinematography. Um, you picked Arrival. I picked La La Land. La La Land won. Mm. So I'm up to nothing, but there's still four categories to go. Um, next, animated film. Um, you picked Kubo. You got that one screen. right, too. I got uh, Zootopia, so that's three for me. Um, best actress. Um, you got uh, Viola Davis for Fences. I picked Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. You got that one right. So three to one. Then best actor. I picked uh, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea. You picked Ryan Gosling for La La Land. Ah, fuck. Well, you won. I got Casey. Oh, we're not done yet. So one more. And then, uh, oh, best picture. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> got it right. Um, so, yes, it seems that I won more of the uh, of our seven that we picked. Four to one. Yeah. All right. So there it is. Mark, So, what will yeah. our film be for the fourth week of the Scream Factory arc? Oh, I don't know if you own this. Um, I'm going to have to pick it up. I can't wait to watch this with you guys. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I am ready and excited. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're going to watch. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we're going to watch. Garbage Pill Kids the movie. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You know <laughs> Um that is one of the few collectors editions that I don't own, so that's oh, I kidding. will be picking that up. Okay. And uh that's <laughs> perfect. Ash, have you seen Garbage Pill Kids the movie? I used to collect the cards, but I've never seen the movie. Okay. I Have remember renting it? the movie I, back when I was a kid. I remember okay. renting it once, and that's it. So I have not seen this in probably 28-plus years. Oh, wow. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. You were going to watch Garbage Fell Kids the movie. Thank you, Moonlight. <laughs> I know, you bastard Moonlight. <laughs> oh, man. That's fantastic. So just to, to recap now that we have this um, – so next week we are talking about Ninja 3, The Domination from 1984. Week 3 is Session 9 from 2001. Week 4 will now be The Garbage Pail Kids movie from 1987. 
And then that week five will still be up to our listeners. So we will figure out what that's going to be in just a couple weeks. So excellent. Thank you, Mark. Congratulations on winning the tiebreaker. I'm glad that there was a winner because <laughs> yes. we kind of just bullshitted that. So that was good. Uh, doing it live. That's what, the way it should be. Yep. So that will conclude this week, I guess. So again, next week, we're going to be back with a review of 1984's Ninja 3, The Domination from Scream Factory. So if you've not seen that one, definitely check it out. And also, as I mentioned earlier, if you have any questions for the three of us here at the podcast, please hit us up using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all your questions you'd like us to answer here on the show, and we'll do our best to answer all of them. So again, make sure you tweet at us using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust. And if for some reason you're not on Twitter... Call us at 1-302-448-TALK or email us at contact at cinefessions.com for any question of the week options. And I promise you, we will take more time to consider them than the questions that we had this week. So there is that. That's a promise you have from us to you. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is you might be listening to us. Positive reviews help us get more listeners, so we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review. And just a reminder, you can always reach us on social media. We love to interact with our listeners there. So you can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so make sure you're following along on all three of those platforms. And also, Ash, where can we find you online? Twitter, DHGF. Uh, Ash A S H E. Awesome. And how about you, Mark? Uh, on the Twitter at uh, Mark with a C underscore Nado, and on Instagram at M Nado zero two. Fantastic. And you always find me on Twitter at Simon One P S Y M I N One. And last but not least, please visit Cinefessions.com and vote on whichever film. Uh, you'd like us to review for week five of this Scream Factory arc. So head on over to cinefessions.com and vote in that poll at the top right-hand sidebar. You can choose between Mark's option of Cat People, the listener pick option of Cherry Falls, Ash's pick of Dark Summer, or my pick of Terror Train. Remember that poll closes on Sunday, March 19th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, so don't miss your chance to vote. And remember, as announced on this week's episode, week four of the Scream Factory arc will now include the Garbage Pail Kids, or Garbage Pail Kids the movie, so make sure you are watching that one in the interim. Alright, I want to thank everyone for listening to the 82nd episode of the Cinefessions podcast, and remember, In film, we trust. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) 